We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Stand up! New York Giant fans. Super excited. A little bit of an impromptu stream. Was at work. Got the stream up late. So probably people trickle in as we get going. But thank you to everybody for being here. Uh, I posted the link in the description below. Forgot to do that last time. I'm sure my mods will... If you could go in there, post the link throughout the stream. Excited. To have Big Blue Banter back on the channel. We promised last week if the Giants won, we'd come back on. we talk about it. What's going on, boys? Doing well, Chris. Let me just start by saying this, though, Chris. I've heard a lot of your stand-ups. That wasn't my favorite, so I'm going to I'm gonna try to amend that real quick. I, look, it's Should not I like redo that it? one. Can I redo it? It's divisional week, and it, that one sounded like uh, I've been a hard day at work. I lost my All right, we gotta redo. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to redo it. All right, I was going to take my own chance at it. I was going to take my own crack. Go ahead. You do it. You do it. You do it. Stand up. There you go. That was good. Much better than me. Much better than me. Little pizzazz in the up. Well done. I like it. You you didn't didn't have the pause. You just went straight from the D to the up. Yeah. Well done. I might might integrate that into my stand up. All right. Good. (laughs) What's going on, Nick? How you doing? I'm excellent. And Chris, I, I have to agree with Dan, though. Your stand-up was a little bit subpar. I'm glad Dan picked up the slack there. Good job, buddy. <laughs> but it's all it's all good love. You've had some great stand-ups in your life. That wasn't your best stand-up. But we, you, we, you I, picked, I picked me up. up. You're yeah, not going to bat 1,000. You're a Mets fan. Yeah. <laughs> You're never going to bat 1,000. But say hello to everybody in the chat. What's going on, Davey? What's going on there? Jai, what's going on there? Michael? Yeah, I got the haircut a couple of days ago, Jai. And I couldn't buy my giant hat before I went live. So I'm like, all right, my hair doesn't look like a mess. So. Uh, we ju- we'll go without the ha- the uh, the uh, hat today, but really excited to jump on the pod today with you guys and recap what took place last week and take a look into what we got coming ahead against the Philadelphia Eagles. But let's start with the Vikings game. Let's start with both sides of the ball. Just give me your takeaways, guys, of, of what you saw coming out of this game. I'll start with the defense, okay? I want to applaud Wink Martindale because I think one misnomer about Wink Martindale is that, look, he has his philosophy, and he does not deviate from that. Dan and I had Ken McCusick. He does a similar type of podcast for the Ravens on our podcast when we hired Wink Martindale, and he said that that was utter bullshit, and that's exactly the term that he used, that Wink Martindale doesn't deviate 
per game plan. And we saw that in this game, right? Like the Giants are a man coverage team at heart. They're a middle of the field closed team at heart. But against this Minnesota team, they ran quarters. They ran split safety looks, I think like 65% of their snaps. It was a complete deviation from what we know of Wink Martindale. Not to mention he only blitzed 22% of the time wow. rather than yeah, rather than the 43.9% that he is a league leading blitz rate that he's done this entire 2022 Which season. We talked about that. We expected yeah. that going in. We, we, we didn't know the exact percentage, but we thought we were going to blitz a lot less frequently than we normally do in this game. Oh, yeah. We saw just so much more soft zone shells, and it really stifled the passing attack, kind of put an umbrella over the Vikings' explosive nature and really contained Justin Jefferson, which I felt like was the biggest path to victory. So I just wanted to give Wink Martindale a round of applause for being pliable. I, I will say, you know, they came out a little shaky for sure on defense with the zone, but they made adjustments throughout the game. And I, I yeah, I at the end of the game, I said to myself, defense wasn't great because the offense kind of carried us. But when you really go back and think about it, the second half of that game, the defense actually played pretty good. Um, and Dexter Lawrence was doing a damn good job in terms of getting interior pressure throughout the basically the entirety of that game. Same thing with Leonard Williams, which we talked about. I mean, I, basically everything we said, I think, came to fruition. We said how they weren't going to blitz a whole lot. We talked about how, I, at least I did, and I think you guys agree with me, how TJ Hawkinson was going to be featured in the passing game because we thought they would double Justin Jefferson. Um, that happened. Um, and, yeah, and we talked about how we thought Daniel Jones would do good. And, well, I would say he did a little bit better than good. Yeah, that's for sure. My big takeaways are on the offensive side of the ball. I want to start by saying it was so it was music to my ears to just see this team come out in a game like this, playoff game, everything on the line. And once they got that lead, they didn't just try to milk that lead. There were times earlier in the season where I felt like they got a little bit conservative with lead. And I think a big reason for that is at that point, they didn't trust their offensive line and pass protection. They didn't really trust their pass game in general until they figured out basically a little bit in that Detroit game. And then later in that in that uh, Washington game, they can actually lean on the pass. So now when they figure that out, they stayed aggressive. They stayed throwing on first down. They stayed trying to build a lead rather than milk a lead. And that was big for me. But I just love how they came out, too, on offense. It wasn't like a different game plan fully, but it was, look, we're going to lean on some of the things that brought that we brought here. Brian Dable brought those deep crossers that you saw earlier in the game with the Yankee concept, like back-to-back -back hits. They hit one to Slayton on the first drive, then right again, 47 yards on the second drive. Like, what did that do later in the game? You saw examples of plays where Minnesota was really dropping guys into coverage and they were playing really far off the ball because early in the game, they got attacked vertically with those routes and Slayton hit it twice. And that opened so much up for the rest of the game. It was so cool to watch this offense be such a vertically challenging pass game for really the first time all season. You could point to the first Minnesota game and there were some elements of that, but there was even more in this game. And that was something they did against Green Bay way back in London. They hit those deep crossers. And then, and then for a while, we didn't really see it again. And I was kind of like, well, maybe that was just game plan specific. But for this one, they knew like playoffs on the line. Everything's on the line. Let's let's be aggressive with this. And they were so aggressive in this game. And I love to see it. Yeah, and the and the thing that really – I mean, first off, the motion was off the charts. I think Justin talked about it when I went on their podcast. I think they ran 32% of the time they ran motion. On the year, it's 16% on average. So they doubled their yearly average in terms of pre-stat motion. Um, but the one thing that really stood out to me in this game more so than anything else from an offensive standpoint, these guys are running wide open. And, and, and I know, like, Minnesota's defense is great, but I think some of that also goes to the scheme and getting these guys open. And, and Daniel Jones, I mean, what more can you say about him? I mean – Quick decisions, whether it be running the ball, throwing the ball, everything was on target. He was 25 at 34, but I think the Giants had three drops. You think about the yeah, Darius Slayton right. drop. Um, he he would have had 350, 360 yards had these guys held on the ball with 70 yards rushing and, and not even close to committing a turnover. Like, 
that was one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. And it was his debut start. Like, in, an insane performance by Daniel Jones. Completely. An absolutely, yeah, an yeah, absolutely insane performance by Daniel Jones. And to the point on the motion, a lot of that was a product of the Giants employing 21 personnel, which was a great addition to this this offensive approach. And a lot of people have been calling for that, right? We want to see more Matt Breida on the field. And look how div- – I would say diverse this rushing attack was with the 21 personnel package. It's something that the Giants kind of reserved for the playoffs. And it was a huge part of what they did in Minnesota. So using Matt Breida or Saquon Barkley in jet motion definitely helped that. But in terms of Daniel Jones, man, you're right. He was efficient. He was quick. He trusted his reads. And anytime he's confirmed man covered, what did he do? He ran. That is one of his biggest weapons. You have to lean on your legs. And I feel like this coaching staff is putting him in such a great position and put a lot of trust in him to do so. And that's why he's cranking out these 70 plus yard rushing games. Like he is a true, a true dual threat quarterback right now. Yeah. Yeah, And he's become that for sure. He has. And I want to give a little credit and one more shout out to, I don't know who it is. I'll say Kafka or Dable. It doesn't really matter at this point. I think they both work together, but you know, when I'm listening to this week, I was listening to Greg Cassell and Fran Duffy on their Eagles podcast. And those to me, Greg Cassell is the legit goat of game film analysis. Like if I'm coming to anyone for game film stuff, I'm going to him and Duffy's good, good as well. And I just love to hear them break down the brilliance of some of the two play calls. They love the first one that Nick actually, you called out even before I heard them call it out on the podcast. So shout out to you, the touchdown to Hodgins, that little pre-snap motion that they use that. And then they have the corner who's on Hodgins and outside leverage. And it's like, all you have to do is run that skinny post and a corner from outside leverage is not going to beat him to that point. It's an easy pitch and catch. And Jones just drives the football in touchdown. And then obviously the play that I love the best play call I thought of the day. And we went over it on our, on our podcast as well, which was the play where Saquon Barkley kind of leaks out over the middle of the field. Uh, from the from inside instead of kind of doing what he normally does which is like run that flare and then he kind of mm-hmm. takes the defender out and sometimes they throw the quick game he comes out over the middle and runs that little out and at that point you have all that all the traffic working over the middle of the field with the other receivers it's really impossible for that linebacker to stay with him we know it's Saquon Barkley and what does that lead to like a 26 yard gain and they broke down both those two plays the intricacies of both of them and the brilliance from play design standpoint of both of those plays and it's just music to my ears man because we spent so much time last season talking about Jason Garrett's offense and we're watching it on film and there's just not enough intricacies to it. There's, there's really none of that. Like I didn't really hear anyone opine on the giants and break down game film, the giants and be like, well, you know what? Jason Garrett ran this really cool play here. And like, look at what happened with this player and this player in the motion. It just really didn't happen at all for two straight years. And now we're getting it on such a consistent basis. It's great stuff. And the importance about that Barkley play, too, is they ran yeah. it to the trip side. So that means that you have three wide receivers crossing over the middle of the field. There's no way the linebacker is going to be able to match that. You have to push it. But all of those players are engaged with those receivers. It's just sim- it, there's, a, there's a simplicity to it, right, from a football standpoint. But it's also just so brilliant. And that's one of the things I love so much about that. Just create traffic and put that defender into a bind and allow Saquon Barkley to get in the space. Because when Barkley's in space, bye-bye. The guy is fantastic. Dude, and and I know he only had nine carries, but he did a hell of a lot with those nine carries. And he did a hell of a lot with the catches that he received as well. And the way that they used him, this was kind of the way that I envisioned that they would use him this year. Not that I thought he'd have nine carries, but I thought they'd use him more like an Alvin Kamara-type running back this year. And you've really started to see them do that now the last three, four weeks of the regular season. He had 10 targets against Minnesota. I think the first time they played, they get eight targets against the Colts. Um, and and this game, obviously, was heavily utilized. But the, mo- the more important thing, I think we talked about this last time, his average yards per catch 
was significantly higher than it was in the previous weeks when we talked about how he was only averaging five or six yards a catch. He averaged almost 12 yards a catch in this game. He had five catches, I think, for 60 yards. I think he averaged about 12 yards a catch, so he was making big plays in the passing game. He was, and honestly, man, looking at Ed Donatel, I don't know what he was doing, the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. It was like Mike Kafka was toying with him the entire game, and I think that's another reason why we saw so much success from Saquon Barkley is because there were no real adjustments to stop Saquon Barkley getting out of the flat and getting like changing things up. Like they would sometimes put Harrison Smith on him and man coverage, drop him down near the line of scrimmage. But Kafka would just change what he was doing. And that, that was the one play that Dan was highlighting where instead of flaring out to the flat, he goes through the line of scrimmage. And now he's isolated against Jordan Hicks to the three uh, wide receiver side. But I don't know, man, there were so many coverage busts in that game. And I'm just so glad that Daniel Jones is such a quick processor now that he was able to exploit them. Yeah. Tremendous job. Uh, tremendous job by Daniel Jones. Philip says, fun fact, flat is the Danish word for good. You could say Cordell is playing very flat. Do you think <laughs> Do you think he could be a franchise cornerback for us? Um, Cordell flat had the play of the game, in my opinion, and he barely played, but he had that one huge pass breakup. I think that was the only time he was on the field, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was... Think about that. He came in cold on that play. Yeah. And, and he made probably the play of the game. They picked that up. Who knows where that game goes after that? So um, I still don't think Cordell Fott is a starter. I would expect him probably to get some more reps this week. We'll see. But I don't think he'll start. But I think he will be a starter. I don't know if it'll be next year or the year after that. I think he still needs to bulk up a little bit. But I'm a big fan of Fott. I think Fott's going to eventually become a starter for this football team, whether that be on, you know, in the slot on or on the outside. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with yeah, you go, buddy. I'm just going to stick with my pre-draft evaluation on him. And I remember when he was picked, I was super thrilled about it. Everyone's like, what the hell? Why? And I was pretty much the only one thrilled about it. And a lot of it was Nick and I did a little bit of a review on not only him, but Stingley. And he played across from Stingley. Sometimes he played in the slot a lot there at LSU. And it's all it was all just traits based for me. And I think that's what it was for Joe Shane, too. He looked at a player who is basically a ball of clay that he can mold at a very young age. Because what did he enter this draft at 21 years 20. old? Cordell Flott? 20. 20. We drafted. So, yeah. yeah. 20 years old, great length. And one thing that you saw in the first, I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was the Minis- the first Minnesota game where, was that the one where he had the interception that they ruled an incomplete pass where he drove yes. on that pass? Yeah, the first yes. Minnesota game. That's That was always the trait that I loved the most of him. When I watched him on film, I thought he did a really good job of clicking close. And that's something you saw there. It's also something you saw in that play that you talked about, the play of the game, the one of the unheralded plays. Like He got in there, he closed, and he got his hand in there. And maybe he didn't get a PBU. I don't know. Like I, Me and Nick and I were looking at it on the tape, and there wasn't a good angle because we, we were not a huge fan of the All-22 guy who did the Minnesota game from the end zone <laughs> angle. It was very hard to see some things on both sides of the ball. And he was a little better, actually, when he was doing the Minnesota offense. But the point is, I still think he has all those traits that made me so excited about him in the first place so it's just the development thing like you said Chris he's going to grow into his body he's going to become a different player than he is now in the future since he entered the NFL 20 what is he 21 now so I'm very excited about him long term I'm curious if they view him more as like the slot or the the outside corner for them on a long-term thing it's really hard to tell based on what we've seen from him this year because I think a lot of it is circumstantial they like Darnay Holmes in the slot and Aaron Robinson has been out which has been a big kind of change in what they originally planned for those corners but I do feel very good about him long term yeah I I think he's definitely gonna be a contributor Dane Belton actually made a nice play in this game too he had the tackle on that last drive too love that play yeah he did a really good job in terms of forcing him out of bounds so that was a big play too so both rookies contributed massively on that last drive, um, which is great to see. I mean, that that's what you want to see from your young players, continue to progress, play big in a big game. Um, so many other plays, too. Like, I, 
I know like we ended up punting on the next um the next set of downs, but the Matt Breida play got me pumped up. It looked like he was going to be tackled four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he was able to get that yard. Obviously, all the plays by Daniel Jones throughout the game. Barkley, the the we talk about the pre-snap motion. We were talking about the passing plays. How about Barkley's first touchdown? Twenty-nine yards. Okay, they run Breida from the left. I, I actually I think they motioned both Breida and Bellinger, if I'm not mistaken, to the opposite side of the field, and that caught the safety's attention, the corner's attention, the linebacker's attention on that side of the field. And then Barkley goes the other way. He just scoots in for 29 yards. That was a really good play call. Um, and the I'm going to tell you what at the beginning of that game I'm nervous because Minnesota. Goes right down the field. Yeah. Seven minutes. Kill us on a, on defense. And then the first play, we have a holding penalty. So I'm like, Daniel Jones' first playoff game, first and 20, down seven. He's got the skull chan. He's got the horn in his ear. And he responds beautifully, both him and Barkley on that drive. And then after that, I'm like, we're good to go. Like, this offense is good to go. But that was big-time pressure for Daniel Jones in that spot. Yeah. Completely agree. And one one note I want to say on the Barkley touchdown, the first touchdown that I really liked about that play, I feel like in the past when Nick and I, and maybe this is just based on different systems, different offensive lines, different circumstances, but in the past, Nick and I have both opined that we haven't been at all times thrilled with his mental processing as a running back. You'll look at some of the other backs like Chubb and and Cook, some of like the best processors in the NFL from that standpoint. And you're like, okay, you can see the difference. But that's something he took a big jump on this year, and it's so evident on that first touchdown. Because and and I think um, Nick did a good job breaking this down on our podcast, and I saw Pat McAfee show had a good breakdown of it as well. On that p- play, as he's getting outside, he actually doesn't have the edge at that point. There are it's not the, the Vikings don't have numbers, but they have contained to the outside, and he gets vertical. And what he does by getting by getting vertical and like planting his leg and showing a little bit vertical, he forces those defenders to kind of work back inside and, and, and you know, maybe he's going to go vertical. And then he presses outside. And that whole – he sets up the blocks on that play. That's like perfect running backing from a processing standpoint there. And that's like – when you see those, you're like, we already know he has all the physical traits. But when he's starting to do stuff like that, like set up the blocks by getting vertical for a quick second before getting back outside, that's when you're like, this dude can be like – by far the best in the NFL because if he puts those two things together, because we already knew he's also running with more power and better pad level this year, things like that. The pass protection is better. And now it's everything seems to be trending up this year for me on him. How and about Chris, the double, double spin move too? Yeah, oh, yeah. Was sick as well. That was off of a, a nice trap tag that was executed by Mark Lewinsky. But Chris, you brought up the third and one, the Matt Breida individual effort. That was on a jet sweep. Yes, okay, it was. That's, the, that's the same look, 21 personnel of Saquon Barkley's 28-yard touchdown run. Only ah, this time, yes, it was. Yes, Daniel Bellinger, he motioned, like you said. And then what happened? You had Matt, you had Matt Breida go in motion, snap, fake jet sweep, halfback pitch. Then you're going to pull your play side tackle around, just a pin pull concept. Isaiah Hodgins blocking down on an edge rusher. And now you have Andrew Thomas operating as the kick out on Duke Shelley. Good luck, Duke Shelley. You're done. And then John Feliciano coming across as well. And Saquon Barkley, like Dan said, he did an excellent job finding the hole and setting up those blocks. But it's also a scheme thing. Kafka with that eye candy with Daniel Bellinger and Matt Breida drew Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks out of position. So now you have a numbers advantage outside. So it's also a great individual execution from the Giants blocking and Saquon Barkley, but Kafka is setting it up. And then he's sequencing plays later on in the game off of that, the third and one, the Statue of Liberty play. There are so many. There were like four or five, the end around a Darius Slayton in the red zone. Those yeah. were all off those similar looks in that personnel package. That is excellent coaching right now. Mac, Mike Kafka, if he leaves, I'm knocking on wood. I really hope he doesn't, but that guy has great 
innovative head coach that is going to be discussed along the lines of Sean McVay written all over him. Yeah, and he'll now be he's a head coach at some point for sure. He's, I think he's going to get a job. I, I know a lot of people say he doesn't have the experience. I would I'm not worried be about it too. I, and, mm. and listen, I think Dave will be fine because I think Dave a really good OC from the Buffalo Bills. But ideally, yeah, you don't want to lose Kafka after a year. You don't want Jones to have another play caller. You bring up that Statue of Liberty play. That was beautiful. And the way that they used Barkley in this game, even though we only got three yards on that, same thing there. It was they they motioned Barkley out wide for the for the uh you know for the swing pass to draw the attention to the defense, and then they run the Statue of Liberty. Like everything was just so well designed by Kafka. And on that play, the confidence from Daniel Jones, he's just like so, he made it look like it was just like a normal handoff. Like yeah, something they haven't that. shown once in the game at all yet, right? Like it's not like he has had many reps doing that live. And he made it yeah. smooth. Dable said he ran it when he was with, I think, Cleveland and Miami. I think he brought up on one of the press conferences. But another play, too, was the was the handoff power to the wing back underneath where he faked the pitch to Saquon Barkley and then handed it off underneath to Matt Breida. And that play would have been a huge, impactful play if yeah. Zadarius Smith just didn't or yeah, if Zadarius Smith just didn't read it so damn well. Cause he just read it really well. And then he crashed close. down from the backside, but that's just another play out of that package that was, or could have been successful. And one final thing on the first touchdown too, I thought was interesting. The block that Hodgins made, right? Like we talk about all the good things he's done from a route running standpoint, hands catch radius, toughness. Like he's done a lot of good things as a receiver, but he's done a lot of good things as a blocker too. And that block that he made was against a defensive end on that play. Like yeah. it is not an easy block to execute. And I heard him today. I believe it was on good morning football. He was like, yeah, my dad played fullback in the NFL. And he was like, the, one of the first things he taught me and hammered home throughout my life was like, if you can prove to these coaches that you're going to be a good blockers wide receiver, you'll get a job. Like this will keep you in the NFL kind of thing. And he's been, and he's like, he, he said, blocking has been a focus of mine and you could see it. And that was also something Greg Cassell said on that podcast. I referenced earlier. He's like that Hodgins kid. They were talking about Hodgins. That Hodgins is a good blocker too. It's like when you add that element, a good blocker, in addition to what you're offering as a receiver, that's when you start to be like, all right, this isn't just like a cool, fun, fine, good job. You found some guy who's like a Jalen Smith for us or something like that. This is the next, level of that this isn't landing no offense to landing collins this isn't landing collins or jalen smith being added mid-season or gerard davis isaiah yeah. hodgins is on a completely different plane as far as what kind of addition we got it doesn't matter that it didn't cost anything you have to throw all that out right like it's not like oh he wasn't a first round pick he was the cruise didn't cost pick. anything he was on another level right. like exactly yeah. there you go that's exactly right so yeah just want to throw but that no I, I agree with you i think at hodgins at this point it's very safe to say He's at least a wide receiver three. Like once we bump this wide receiving core at worst. So he's definitely been, you can make it. He's probably been the X factor to this season with how depleted the wide receiving core is. If not for him, I mean, where the hell are we? I mean, he's been tremendous Good this point. year for the New York Giants. Had another hundred yard game uh, in this game. So, and, and another touchdown, which he continues to do basically every game the guy plays. So he's been incredible for the Giants and him and Jones are really starting to build some chemistry. Uh, deleted says just saw a stat that the Eagles have nine turnovers in their last four games. Yeah. Uh, I think hurt. Well, hurts. I know. Well, I know they had four against Washington, which was probably the fourth game ago. I, I could be wrong on that, but I know they had four turnovers against Washington when they lost. If we get just two turnovers and take their momentum, the game is ours for the taking. Well, that's what, it, that's our chance in this game. I don't think we're going to be able to go blow for blow with this team. We're gonna have to be able to. We're gonna have to create extra opportunities, extra yeah. possessions, and that's gonna be yes by creating some turnovers. Um, easier said than done. Jalen Hurts did a great job this year in terms of taking care of the football overall. But like deleted said, the Eagles have shown. Yeah, but again, Hurts wasn't playing for two. Yeah, of those some games. of those are Gardner Minshew. Yeah, Gardner Minshew, right? Yeah. So we'll see. 
But if they're gonna win, yeah, I think we're gonna have, we're gonna have to at least win the turnover battle by one. Hopefully by more, but at least by one. And that Washington and game was week this, ten. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Oh, that yeah, was, so was a while ago. Yeah, it was a little bit ago. They had four was turnovers. What, Nick? What was week ten? The Washington game where they had the uh, four oh, yeah, turnovers yeah. in the game. That was week ten. But you're right. Turning the football over, and I also think really important is forcing those field goals when they're down in the red area, like the Giants did in week eighteen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's different. It's a different system, obviously. That was Patrick Graham. But last year, the Giants, and they didn't have uh, A.J. Brown. I understand all those things. But last year, the Giants had a really good game plan against Hurts, and they did a great job. And there was even a situation where they had, like, a single high safety look, which they run a lot more of this year, cover one. And by the way, I think we're going to get back to seeing a lot of cover one in this game from Wink Martindale, a lot of, like, more pressure packages, guys on the line of scrimmage, one safety in the middle of the field just because of the different matchup here. And there's not – and, look, you can't – it's not like you can focus in on Jefferson. You got two guys on the outside now, Smith and Brown. But he had a great play, McKinney, out of one of those looks where he intercepted Jalen Hurts around the midfield. Jalen Hurts thought he had a go ball, and he and and McKinney beat that him. That was an that offensive spot. pass interference, by the way. On that play, uh, which one are you talking? I'm talking about. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking about another play. There was a play where McKinney was going to have an interception, and he got. Uh, they didn't call it. It should have been an offensive pass interference. Is that I'm against Justin last, Jefferson? Yeah, yeah, it was against Jefferson. It was against Jefferson. I'm talking about last, last season when the Giants beat the Oh, Eagles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. no worries. But I'm saying I know it's a different system, Patrick Graham, different personnel, but they beat him like 13-7. They shut down Jalen Hurts, and McKinney had a really good interception from that single high look where he picked him off at midfield. And I, and that was one where, like, that would, when I'm thinking about could the Giants win this game, it's one of those kind of plays could have, could be the difference. I, I mean, listen, I think the, I think if we're going to win – I think it's going to come down to Dexter Lawrence getting pressure on, on the quarterback and forcing Jalen Hurts to make a mistake. Uh, that's right. that's that's what I think it's going to come down to, which is much easier said than done because Kelsey is a I monster. Uh, in, Sucks. In, in, it's in, the you know, one tough matchup for Lawrence literally all year. Everyone else, he's he's dominated. Yeah, I watched that. I rewatched that tape recently. Yeah. And I'll say this. Kelsey's amazing, right? And even one-on-one, he can win some of those reps against Dexter Lawrence. But there were so many sets of eyes on Dexter Lawrence in that game. There was guard, center help. A lot of times he was double teamed because opposite of Dexter Lawrence in that game was Henry Mondo and Ryder Anderson because Leonard Williams did not play. So that is the X factor. Leonard Williams being active and Leonard Williams feasting on -on one-on-one matchups, which can hopefully free up Dexter Lawrence. But I do think that's another reason why we might see seven guys crowding the line of scrimmage. It's going to be risky and it's not going to be all the time. But when you do that, that forces one-on-one matchups. And I think Dexter Lawrence can get the best of somebody even as talented and as skilled as Jason Kelsey here and there, just because they're both high level elite players. But Leonard Williams, that is such a big addition to that defensive line and the Giants chances to winning. You know who else didn't play in that game? Adore Jackson. And McKinney. McKinney. Yeah. Yeah. So those, that that's a big deal. I mean, you could argue that those are our two, two of our three or four most important. The three guys we just mentioned, you could argue are, are three of our top four or five defensive players. And so, no offense, to, no yeah. offense to Julian Love or anything, but McKinney's not giving up that same touchdown that Julian Love gave up in that game to Devontae yeah. Smith on that yeah, third yeah. down call. And that really is the, was the difference in that game. I'm not saying it was the difference like, oh my God, the Giants would have won the game. It doesn't happen, but it opened up and blew open that game and changed the whole really feel for that entire game. I think I think I think we're gonna play a close game. I'm really interested to get your guys' take throughout the stream, but I think it's gonna be a close game. I know a lot of Eagles fans may not think that. Maybe some Giants fans don't think that. I'm pretty confident going into this game that it's gonna be at least close. Like, and we'll talk about it. Ayub says that I mean he he hates Daniel Jones. Did I miss the DJ Gawk session? 
Oh, you just we 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 already gawk gawk, but I'm sure we're gonna <laughs> gawk gawk throughout the stream because he's earned the gawk gawk. So, <laughs> I man, thanks for being here, buddy. How could you not gawk gawk over Daniel Jones the way that he's played this year, uh, specifically over the last four or five games? He's been terrific. Let's see, what we got Gavin says, can we name one big game Jalen Hurts has won? No, that's a good question. Not yet. Not yet. Um, just doesn't, they doesn't have a playoff. Minnesota. I wouldn't call that a big game, but they blew out the. And Vikings. it was early in the year too. Yeah. What I else? mean, like this entire se- he only has one loss this year, and that was the Washington. Oh, he's been game. incredible this year. Yeah, he's like I don't want to sell Jalen Hurts short, but he doesn't have a playoff win. The Giants quarterback does have a playoff win, but I'm I'm not going into this thinking that Jalen Hurts is going to be a liability. But I do think you need to get pressure on him, and I do think you need to hit him. And I'm very curious. I know he's not on the injury report right now, but how healthy is he? Like, right, like that shoulder. He takes one big yeah. pop. I think they could get re-injured. It could be sore, and it could deter right. him from running. So that's going to be a big storyline heading into people, this game. People listening may not may, may think I'm being like too cruel and too violent. If I'm Wink Martindale, I'm going after that shoulder. I'm going after that shoulder. I'm not saying I'm trying to hurt the guy, but of I'm course. trying to make him feel where he's been hurt. I'm I'm saying hit this guy hard um, and try to disrupt him in this football game. That's football, right there. It's yeah. a very physical. Yeah. It's a very you gotta, violent. Got to take game. advantage of what what you can. Everybody always like, oh, is that like bounty gate? It's like, no, it's not bounty gate. It's just freaking football. Like, yeah. even if he didn't have a shoulder injury, guess what you're going to want to do? Especially for someone who takes the liberties to rush so much. You're going to freaking hit him. So that's going to be top notch number one on the Giants list right there. Yeah. You you got to try you got to try to get him up his game for sure. I think the Giants are going to do it. I, I think they're going to at least try to do it. I think they're going to blitz early on and try to get try to rough him up a little bit and see how he responds. Mm-hmm. Albert says the game comes down to who's going to win in the trenches. If we can't block their defensive line and if we can't get the hurts, it will be a long day. Of course. Let me ask you guys if you were Wink going into this game, because this is a much, this is a different animal. With Cousins, he's, he's a pocket passer. He's not a guy that's going to beat you with his legs. He's not really going to improvise. You more, you more so worried about Jefferson, um, and, you know, and the playmakers, Hawkins and so on and so forth. But Hurts is a playmaker in himself. So and he's got two dominant wide receivers on the outside. So how would you go about defending this Eagles offense if you were Wink Martindale? You can go first, Nick. All right. I mean, I wrote a whole piece on this that should be dropping here shortly. I think you need to be flexible. I think you need to change your coverages up on the back end. I don't think it should be a a situation where you're doing one thing because it's a very difficult assignment to defend to go up against this offense. Because like Dan mentioned earlier, you have A.J. Brown. That's your Justin Jefferson, if you will. But then you have Devonta Smith, who is far more talented than Adam Thielen and K.J. Osborne. And then Dallas Goddard and T.J. Hawkinson, that's a wash. So I think you're going to, in man-covered situations, use Xavier McKinney in a similar manner that uh, Wink Martindale used him against T.J. Hawkinson. I think that worked in the second half a little bit, right? So I think you're going to see some of that, but that's only in man coverage. I think I don't think you can put an umbrella over that offense like you did against Minnesota. What I mean by that is allocate so many guys to quarters coverages and all these split safety looks because they can run the football. They rush for 253 yards in week. What was that? 14 against the New York Giants. That is a lot. And Jalen Hurts, if he is fully back from that, you have to keep contain on him. So I don't really want our edge rushers fully committing up the pass rushing arc and leaving wide open B gaps if you don't have a quarterback spot. So it's going to be difficult. I, 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 my main thing is just be flexible 
and change things up. But I'm okay with you lo loading up the line of scrimmage sometimes. I'm okay with you playing quarters as well sometimes. I think Adoree Jackson should be on A.J. Brown when you're in man coverage. I think that should be the assignment. And maybe you can have that buzz defender in cover one who also helped out Adoree Jackson with Justin Jefferson, help out whoever is on Devonta Smith. I think you're going to have a lot that you need to ask from Fabian Moreau. I'm a little bit nervous about that against Devonta Smith, but I also think Nick McLeod and Cordell Flaw are players that you can rely on if Fabian Moreau is struggling. So I wouldn't even be hesitant to not use those guys if Fabian Moreau is struggling. I just think you need to adjust every single play, which is something that we know this coaching staff does. Like they talked about halftime adjustments. Like we don't make halftime adjustments. We make adjustments per play. And that's, damn, we go through the film on both sides right. of the football every week. That couldn't be the most true thing that you've ever heard, right? So just so be true. very, well, it's so true. Yeah, that's the been the greatest thing about this coaching staff. I look at this matchup and I'm thinking in my head, one of the things the Eagles have been able to do so well in the passing game is that a lot of what they've been able to create has been on the outside, not over the middle of the field, which makes them so hard to defend. It's much easier to defend a team that's winning in the passing game over the middle of the field than the outside. So I almost think back to, and I'm curious to get your take on it. I haven't brought this up to you, Nick, and I'm curious to get both of your takes on this. I think back to the Bears game way earlier in the season, Wink Martindale's plan against the Bears in that game. And it was very aggressive. There was a lot, a lot of guys in the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of single high, mostly cover one. There were cross dog blitzes, which I think I would love to see Wink Martindale use a cross dog blitz in this game against Jalen Hurts. To me, that's one of the best. And it's tough because you got Kelsey in there, but to me, that's one of the things they can do blip him up the middle rather than like Nick said around the edge you don't want to lose contain one of the biggest reasons the Vikings lost that game is because they had their edge rushers just shooting up around the edge from such wide stances over and over and over again and Dan Jones is like F this you're going to keep doing this I'm just going to literally run into that gap you provided me we cannot do that for Jalen Hurts we'll lose the, the Giants will lose this game if they do that but at the same time, if they sit back like Nick said and play an umbrella like he said with split safety looks you know what's going to happen those were guaranteed yeah. what'd you say those receivers will tear us apart. No, what I'm worried about, it's not even that. I just think this is a totally different animal in the run game. The Vikings are running zone run game. Like the Giants can stop a zone run. The Giants didn't really give up that much in the run game against the Vikings, despite allocating like zero resources to stopping the run. They basically just relied on the guys they have, but that's not going to work against the Eagles. The Eagles are going to run power and gap. The Eagles are going to run all different kinds of concepts on the edge. They're going to crush the Giants because not only do the Eagles have a much better offensive line than the Vikings, they do what the Giants can't stop in the run game. That's power and gap concepts. And they do it over and over, and they will be willing to do it because they've practiced it this year, unlike the Vikings who weren't going to come in cold and just start running power and gap stuff with pullers. The Eagles can do that. So I think the first thing you got to do in this game is stop the run, believe it or not, even though you do have those two receivers to worry about, because if they don't do that, there's going to be no, there's, it's going to oh, be a long out. day. It's lights out. Yeah. With those yeah. weapons. And, and, yep. and then you got to worry about Hertz as a runner. Um, yeah, yep. It's going to be interesting to see what they try to do in terms of how, because it is a multifaceted defense. And if you dedicate so much attention to the wide receivers and the weapons, that's going to leave wide open running lanes for Jalen Hurts, right. which is why it's going to be so imperative, like you said, for them to set the edge, not overcommit. And I think the most important thing is interior pressure, um, interior pressure, get Jalen Hurts off his game. But you have to, like you said, you have to set the edge because if Kayvon Thibodeau overcommits, much like you said, the Vikings did, he's just going to run right through that hole and he's going to pick up those 10 yards right. and just keep trucking down the field. So we have to stay disciplined. And I think the key, much like I said last week, is Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. Those two guys have to find a way to win the battle against that interior front of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's that's our best chance to be able to hold them in check in this football game. Definitely. And I think we're going to 
like we know the Giants want to use quarter personnel, right? And they they're going to use quarter, which means seven or more defensive backs. But it's not going to be the same type of I think defensive packages that we saw against Minnesota, for example. The Minnesota Vikings will come out in twelve personnel. That means there's two tight ends. It's typically a beefier type of running oriented package on offense. The Giants would not respond with base. They would come out in their nickel sub package still because Wink Martindale wants to use his nickel. He wants more speed on the field. I think the the Eagles, man, they're going to come out in 12 and the Giants might, I think, depending on the down and distance, still match with their base personnel. So I think in order for the Giants to really get their quarter personnel package and their dime and their dollar personnel packages out there, they need to really stop the Eagles on first down, not give up too many big plays on first down. Cause if you can get the Eagles behind script, then you can get your desired personnel right. on the football field. Cause the only time the giants ever went to base against the Minnesota Vikings was when they came out with a fullback 21 personnel Eagles don't operate with a fullback. So the giants aren't going to really necessarily need that, but still, if you look back at week 14, they used a lot of base personnel against 12 personnel looks, which is not something that they respected with the Vikings. Cause they didn't really think the Vikings could run the football efficiently on them. That's the key. I mean, that's the key every week, but especially against a team like this, if they get into third and twos, they get into third and threes, they get into second and fives, like it, it it's going to be impossible to defend this team between Jalen Hurts' running ability. If they can get in predictable situations, third and eights, third and sevens or longer, that's when the blitz could be effective. That's when Jalen Hurts maybe panics if you could disrupt him, right? If he, If you could, you know, disguise it well and he doesn't see where it's coming from. Maybe he fumbles the ball. Maybe he throws the ball quickly, quicker than he intends to, and you could create some turnovers. So especially against a team like this, we have got to stay away from those third and twos, those second and fours. We've got to win first down. We've got to win first down. It's not going to happen every every set of you know every set of downs, every drive, but we've got to get them in third and six, third and seven, third and eight. Um, that's our chance, I think, to, to win this football game. If they're getting seven yards at a chunk on first down, we're going to be in a world of hurt. And Tana, one X factor, which is so unlikely, is Gerard Davis, if he dresses in this game. If the Giants thought he did a good enough job to earn a roster spot, earn snaps over Micah McFadden, I think that is one X factor because we haven't seen a power gap team yet operate with Gerard Davis in the lineup. Can he fit yeah. that better than the other linebackers? Now, I'm a little dubious just because watching Gerard Davis tape in, in Detroit it really wasn't that great of an experience, if I'm going to be honest, but it's still <laughs> something different that we that we haven't seen yet this season because basically every game he's played in, it was more zone-oriented teams, and when he played in Week 18, it was against an Eagles team that was not running the offense that they're going to be running in this game. And I think one thing that could benefit the Giants, to be honest, just from watching enough Eagles this year is just, I want to call it coaching hubris from Sirianni because there is going to be opportunities for him to run the ball. And he, he is not, they've been a very pass heavy team and a pass first team. That's kind of been his MO always as a coach. And that could help the giants in this game. Like there was that stretch last year toward the end of the season where they were run heavy, but not since they've gotten AJ Brown, it's changed. And I almost feel like to me, it's like, yes, you have AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, but I feel more confident when the Eagles are going to be passing the ball than when they're going to run the ball, because I don't know if you can even commit enough resources as the giants or the better, you know, bring your base personnel, whatever it is to stop their run. I don't think the giants have an answer to stop the Eagles. I agree with you. Until they upgrade the personnel linebacker, they won't be able to stop any of these power gap teams that have good offensive linemen that can run block. So when they pass, it's almost like a win for the Giants to me. And that's so counterintuitive to what I believe about football in general. I believe you pass to open up the run, not the opposite way around. 
But in this matchup, I don't see an answer for the Giants run defense. So I'm just hoping they throw the ball in spots where they could run the ball. I agree with you. I want them to get past that because that gives us the opportunity to potentially create turnovers. That's our right. best shot to win this game. If And we've, like you said, we've struggled against teams similar to this. You think about the Jaguars. I think they kind of run this, the, the type of run scheme you're talking about as well. Travis Etienne breaks that big. Like, we've struggled against teams like yep. this this year. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I want them. I, I, I'm inviting them to throw the football. Please throw the football. Um, <laughs> and, and if you beat us with your guys, you beat us with your guys. Marco says, imagine we play the Super Bowl last play, Shep. I don't think he can. I mean, he's obviously hurt, but I even if he was, I think he's out for the year, so he can't. But maybe yeah. he's back next year. That'd be cool. And I hope he is. I hope he's back on a vet minimum. I think he's he's a guy that's well-respected in the locker room, and I love Shep. It's just, unfortunately, the guy's always hurt. I really hope he's back next year, and I think he will be, actually. Yeah, on a vet min. I agree with you. Uh, Hester says, saw Warner's, Warner's new vid on DJ. I know top quarterbacks miss the layup passes, too, but make up for it with great throws, runs. You guys watch it. Does it change your mind about DJ? I have not watched it. I haven't seen it, no. No, I haven't seen it either. And Hester, what do you mean by does it change your mind about DJ? In what manner? Yeah, which way does it? Yeah. Which way is it going? Is he praising him in the video, or is it the opposite? We don't know because we haven't seen the video. not praise DJ off that performance? Like, Well, Warner has been very harsh on Daniel Jones. I know he has. And I'll also say, and I I think Daniel Jones, like, I'm very happy with him. But as Dan and I have said on the podcast, and I believe it to be true, that defense had, I don't even know how many coverage busts. There were a bunch of coverage busts, but it's It's on Daniel Jones to exploit that. That's not a Daniel Jones knock. It's on Daniel Jones to exploit it. If we have any knock on Daniel Jones, if there is any knock on Daniel Jones, it's just his lack of throwing it deep, which he did twice in in two games this season, I think more than five times, which was both against Ed Donatel's defense, ironically enough. But Dan and I talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's not that he can't. He has oh, all of the ability yeah. to do it. It's just I don't know what the coaching point is or 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 what exactly is going on there. There have been opportunities this season that Daniel Jones didn't pull the trigger, but I think that's very correctable. And maybe with confidence, it will be corrected because he has all the physical traits that you need in the quarterback. And, and for, I think he's starting to build that confidence. I really do. I think you're starting to see it. That's That's been the key difference for me. He was so confident and composed in that first playoff game. And I think for uh, for Nick and I, and this goes against kind of, this is a bit contrarian to what most people think. I think if we start to see those shot plays connected on, because there are plays on tape. I, if he's talking, if Warner is bringing up the layups that Daniel Jones is not throwing or whatever, these deep passes, I understand where he's coming from. But I don't actually think the wide receiver upgrade changes that. I think what Nick said, as Daniel Jones gets more comfortable in the system, that's when those plays start to happen. It's not a receiver issue. Those guys have been open on these routes. It's not like, oh my God, if we just had a receiver and if he just had confidence in his receiver, it's more so what well, we don't know. What Nick said, is it a coaching point, right? Is he, is, are the coaches saying, don't even worry about taking those shots. Make sure you take the underneath thing that you can definitely get that we've schemed up because that means there's no chance of an interception. And I remember Daniel Jones even said something like that earlier this year, like two weeks ago in a presser. He's like, one of the biggest changes in my game and improvements is I learned that you don't always have to think big. Like sometimes you can just take what the defense is giving to you. And that's been a great reason why the Giants have found a lot of success too. So if that's what he's talking about, Warner, I don't know, but maybe that's something that we can see with more time. And I think something interesting uh, that I wanted to bring up about Daniel Jones and just a lot of what people criticize or whatever about him not making these throws. If you guys watch the quarterback school with JTO Sullivan, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen Nick? Did a, I didn't see it recently, I but I have, I have watched it before. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. He did a Daniel Jones video today, 
And I thought he, oh, he did. one thing that stood out about that video that that really is like percolating in my mind is because he played the quarterback position. That's why mm -hmm. there was a play late in the game or not even late in the game. At some point, you guys might remember, I think it was like a third and one or a third and two where Jones dropped back and then he ran around the around to the right and picked up the first down with his legs on that play. Isaiah Hodgins was wide open on the left side on the That's other side. Right. And Nick and I, when we broke the film, like, oh, look, Isaiah Hodgins is wide open. He didn't he didn't see it. He didn't throw it. But JTO Sullivan, the way he described that as bad luck. And that was really interesting to me. It wasn't bad read or he should have processed or he shouldn't. Have. He said bad luck. He's like, the luck factor is this, this quick game. And he's looking right from the start. It's kind of just bad luck that this receiver got open on the left side rather than the right side. If he's open on the right side where Daniel Jones takes that's, the look. That's his read. Quick, yeah. That's the read. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to see it and he's going to throw it. But instead, he sees what he doesn't like on the right side. And he knows he can get it with his legs. So I think a lot of the time when you see these receivers open, we just don't really fully know if it's bad luck, as JTO Sullivan said on that play, a guy who's played the quarterback position or if it's you know bad read or mystery that that's the thing i can't stand when I, i'm not saying you because I, I think you do a real yeah. both you guys do a great job with film breakdowns but that's the thing i can't stand sometimes when i'll go on twitter and i see people do these film breakdowns and they and they complain oh look this guy was open but then you see jones is looking to the right and you're like well jones's first read was richie james it wasn't darius slayton and richie james was open so, like, you, you also have to factor that in, right? If his first right. re is a specific receiver, if he if he's open, he's going to throw it to him. Yes, and there are times where it's worth criticizing. Like, I think what Brett Coleman no, did sure a couple weeks ago, sure people is. went yeah. nuts about Giants fans when he was talking about the Colts example, where Jones threw that little out to, Dar to Hodgins in the corner out of the cover, two sat on it and drove on him. That is a fair criticism. Like Jones needs to be able to process this and understand that that corner in that spot in that cover two is going to drive on that route and you have the open vertical and that's fair. But when it's something like I just brought up where he looks to the right and someone gets open on the left, that's not fair because it's like O'Sullivan said, it's bad luck. And this is something I'm learning too, as I go through, as I watch these videos of quarterbacks who have played the position and actually know a lot more about it than I do explain concepts like that and things like that. So there are times where you can, it's fair to criticize. There's times where it's not, I think. Yeah. And Chris says, what does a Philadelphia Eagles fan and a school on Sundays have in common? Both have zero class. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dude, I'm so time. mad the Eagles won that Super Bowl a couple years ago because forever I was just using the same exact for always the same joke. Hey, look closely, look closely as I display the Eagles trophy case. That was one of them. And then it was obviously the what does an Eagles fan do when he wins the Super Bowl? Turn off the PlayStation. Those were go tos. For me. I, was <laughs> rich on, and I never let him and I never let him go. And then, of course, they won that Super Bowl. It's almost uh, as good as the next question. I wanted to bring this up to Nick. This made me think of this, uh, Chris. Okay. We, we talked about this last night. Entertainer put out his favorite okay, yes. season. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, he put yeah, out yeah. a tweet last night or yesterday. I don't know. I saw it last night. It might have been earlier. Yesterday. In the day. Yesterday. Yeah. Okay. His favorite seasons as a Giants fan, Nick. He listed four of his favorite seasons. Okay. And the one you're going to mention is my fifth. I didn't list five, but it is my it fifth. It was his fifth, but for me, it's my third. Okay. And I want to break it down and see where it is for Nick. On that list, not in his top four, was the 2008 season. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Where 2008, 2008 regular season. Not the 2008 postseason. No, the whole I'm call, I'm just saying the whole yeah yeah right right not the Super Bowl year yeah not year the after. Super Bowl season so yeah, first yeah. let me make my case for it my case is and I'll be I'll keep this brief at no point in my lifetime as a Giants fan have I ever been able to say and think oh my God we're the best team in the NFL no one's gonna beat us oh, we're 100%. unbelievable except for that 2008 season when yes. they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh after beating Baltimore the two of the best teams in the league that year I was like. 
holy crap. The and Giants the way the they beat Baltimore. They, and the they, way they beat Baltimore. They and the way they beat Pittsburgh. Both yeah. games. They yeah. punched them in the mat. I was like, and to your friends, to everyone, I was like, holy shit, the Giants are the best team in the league. At no point in my lifetime were they. So that, to me, that's worth a lot. To me, that's think worth about, more think than. About this, man, by the way. Yeah. Think about this, by the way. If you go back to 2007, we started 0-2. We finished that year 10-6, and and then we right. won four straight games in the playoffs. So as Giants fans, we saw 14 out of 18 that year, and then we went 11-1. and We were 25-5 and over a 30-game stretch Damn. with a Super Bowl win. And then a bullet That's, in the yeah. I never thought of it like that, by the way, with that 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 range. like taking 25 out of 30 yeah. games we saw, yeah. they won. Think about yeah. that dominance. We're not used to that as Giants fans. But no. yeah, the, the reason I didn't list it, was because of the way it ended, because yeah, of the bullet to the foot. But the 2008 season was the greatest Giants team I've ever seen. They were top five on both sides of the ball. They had the yeah. best offensive line in football. I think the offensive line that year was the MVP of the football team. That's how good they were, how they Completely were really dominating the line of scrimmage. Um, but in terms of what I enjoyed, 07, that's number one for me, knocking off the undefeated Patriots. For my first Super Bowl, you always love your first, and just the method in which they did it. 11, obviously incredible. Same thing, similar run. That was kind of Eli. The first one was Strayan's Super Bowl. The second one was Eli's Super Bowl. That was the Super Bowl that cemented Eli as a Hall of Famer. My third was 2000. That was when I, that was my first season where I'm like, I was already a Giants fan, but that was like my first, like I'm I'm in love with this team. Yeah. Tiki Barber, Kerry Collins, Ike Killier, like, you know, Amani. Sean Payton calling the offense. Sean Payton, John Fox, defensive coordinator. Yeah. That was that was my first team. That Michael Barrow, middle linebacker. We go on for Ah, uh, Mike Barrow. Greg that, was, that, that, that was my first Giants team that I, like, fell in love with. So that's three for me. And then I listed this one as four. And I, and I said in the tweet that if they won the Super Bowl, which we have a long ways to go, they would be my number one Giants team of all time. And the reason wow. I say that. There's factors. The crap we've gone through for 10 years. This is the darkest it's ever been since I've been a New York Giants fan, right? The fact that it's the first year of a new regime and the fact that the expectations were by most people going into the year that this was a five-win team. If they were able to overcome all of that, I'm not saying it's the best team because it's far from that. It would be my favorite Giants team since I've been watching the team since 1997. If they were able to win the Super Bowl this year with all of that factored in. That's fair. I think that's a fair take. And I'm not, so I didn't experience the 2008 season. I was in boot camp and SOI. So I, I can't really opine on what exactly I was hearing about it from afar, but typically about a month after everything was going down. Were you there for 07, all of 07 or no? I was there for all of 07. That was my senior and, year of high school. And it was, I, I don't know if I'll, I don't think there will be a season that will top 07 for me at that point in my life, how it all kind of happened. Yeah. That to me is the top. It's tough to top. This season would would rival it because of all of the things that I think Chris said. But to me, man, like 07 was such a like I knew I was leaving, you know, a couple months after that Super Bowl. So like winning it was just it was just incredible. Like I I don't even know if I'll ever reach that that peak of elation again. You know, like other than maybe like having kids and stuff like that. Let me run down this hypothetical scenario for you. You better you better include getting married in there, Nick, for your own sake. I said that. I said the wedding. (laughs) Yeah, I said the way. Uh, I didn't hear that. I said just <laughs> let's let's say this playoff run. We know we're playing the Eagles this week. So let's say we beat the Eagles. Let's say the Cowboys beat the 49ers and we beat the Cowboys in the NFC oh, Championship yeah. game. And then let's say we beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, Joe Shane and Brian Dable's former team. If that were to happen, does that top the 07? 
It might, but again, like I'm, I'm, I'm in my early thirties. I'm in my early thirties though, right now. Like I was a what, 16, 17, I was a 17 year old kid in 07. So like right. it, they're different. Like I cover the team professionally now. So it's just kind of a different, like I was a different. true fan uh, yeah. back then. So fair, fair. It's not really quantifiable, but dude, beating the Eagles and, and the Cowboy, like, oh my God, that would, I would love that. That would be. If they just win this weekend, it'll move to number three for me immediately ahead of 2008. I agree with you. All they have to I, do is win this weekend. If they and, lose this weekend, it stays below 08 for me. And I want to give you a, a crazy similarity. Think about this. Let's go back to 07. 2007, New York Giants are playing the Dallas Cowboys in the divisional round. Dallas Cowboys were the number one seed. Mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys swept the New York Giants in the regular season. Dallas Cowboys were a seven and a half point favorite. Philadelphia Eagles, number one seed, swept the New York Giants in the regular season, seven and a half point favorite. Both on the road. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer. 
but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. How many Pro Bowlers yeah. do the Eagles how about, have? How about the, the Cowboys had like 13 or something crazy that the year? Cowboys were packed that year. They were called the baby yeah. Patriots that year, the NFC Patriots. And what about the 08 comparison? Eagles six seed, beat a three seed, Come into the Giants, a little bit banged up. The Giants, not quite what they were during the regular season. The Eagles beat them. Now Giants, six seed, beat the three seed. Come into the Eagles, not a little bit more banged up than they were. Giants are hot. Eagles are not. Right. So there's similarity. Yeah, it's just, I like history. And, I, you know, it it just gives you more hope going into the game. For sure. And Ayub says, this isn't Cousins. Hurts is the MVP. It's an L, boys. He's not the MVP. I don't think. MVP for me has got to be Mahomes. And number two is probably Joe Burrow. He's probably three. But he's not the MVP. But he's definitely more dangerous than Kirk Cousins. I'll agree with you on that. That's fair. Yeah, 100%. I have Mahomes as a lock MVP. Oh, yeah. has to be. Has to be. Stud. Bill, thank you so much, man. He says, seems like a battle between the Giants defensive line and the Eagles offensive line is what decides this game. Giants must have Aziz. He's still questionable. Supposedly, he's a full go of practice, but we'll see. He only had, like, what, six snaps this past week, guys? Yeah. Um, and and KT joining Dex and Leo's best effort for 60 minutes to win this. I doubt Hurts has the talent to, to succeed consistently behind a crappy O-line. Problem is, he does not have a crappy O-line. Yeah. Unfortunately. He's got one of the best. And Lane Johnson, I think, is playing by all accounts. I know he's been yeah. banged up, but he's got one of the best. Um, So I don't think our defensive line is going to manhandle them. But I do think we may be able to create some opportunities and get pressure on Jalen Hurts. I don't think we're going to manhandle him start to finish. But I do think we have a good enough defensive coordinator and good enough players at those positions that they could occasionally create pressure on Jalen Hurts. And when they do create that pressure, you need to execute and you need to sack him. Because there have been times where Jalen Hurts, he gets a free rusher in on him and he makes one move and then he's just gone. Once those opportunities present themselves... You need to execute if you're the New York Giants because Wink will scheme it up. And there's actually one really funny comment from Chris Balsario, which I 100% agree with. Tana, I want to get your opinion on this. And what, it's, Dan, take that green shirt off. I thought you were an Eagles fan. What <laughs> are you that? thinking wearing a green shirt into this That's live stream, good, buddy? That's actually a good point. This is the... Uh... Actually, now that he mentions it, you literally have wings on the shirt, too. I know. This is not great. This is not. This is not. Look, it's the (laughs) the basketball shirt. For those of you who have played in the New York leagues, the urban leagues, you know. And look. By the way, I I, I, I think the number will be better on the back. Who am I wearing? I think this is my 23. Yeah, it's my 23. I agree with that. Look, this wasn't a great call. I should maybe look at it. One of my subscribers actually made this shirt, and I'm going to promote it on another stream. But um, it dimes on the back. Mailed it to me, and then on the front it says, "No O line, 
which <laughs> I don't think is true. The O-line's gotten better. No Galladay, no Shepard, no Wandell, no problem. And then it's just dimes go. on the back. Yeah, like, <laughs> That's creative. Nice. I want to say one thing about what Bill said earlier, because he brought in, and I think he's onto something in the sense that, and we know this, this is not where I'm not breaking any ground here, but you win football by winning in the trenches. But I actually think the X factor in this game is the opposite of what he said. To me, it's the Giants O-line versus the Eagles D-line. I think early in this game, the Giants are going to give Evan, Chan- uh, Evan Neal a chance to be okay. They're just going to play. They're going to be like, look, we want to run our offense. We can't afford to have extra guys allocated toward helping you out. Let's see how it goes. And that's the period of time that's going to decide this game. And that's going to be tough. It's going to, but that that's the only way to win. They cannot afford to allocate resources to helping him if they want to run this offense. And so if during that time he checks out and he does a good job against like Hassan Reddick, who destroyed him in week 14, Hassan Reddick just made him his bitch to be completely honest. Unfortunately, if he does well against him in that time and whoever they put out there on the edge, they're going to mix it up. That's going to change the entire game because that means the Giants can run the offense they want to run. If not, and it's a liability and we're getting drives killed because of it, that's when I start to worry because then I'm like, all right, what are we even going to do? We're going to use a tight end to chip. We're going to do all these different things that impact what we want. Yeah, I agree with you. If we have to go back to that offense we were running the first five, six weeks, seven weeks where we were running two tight end personnel to, to help block, it, yes, it gives your quarterback some time to throw, but it limits the what, the guys that are going out to run routes. So it, it completely right. limits this offense. So I think the biggest reason why this offensive line has looked better is because of Daniel Jones. And hope, because I think his sensing of the pressure, his he is so alert, he just takes off and he runs as soon as he sees the hole. And if that happens in this game, maybe, even if Neil struggles a bit, if he doesn't have extra help, Jones could see that hole and just take off and run with it on his side of Say Hassan right. Reddick overcommits and breaks the edge, and we'll see if we'll see if we could try to hide some of our holes because I don't think Evan Neal is going to be able to hold up the entire game going up against this pass rush. This team had seventy sacks this year. Yeah, I mean they got four guys with with double digit sacks, but I agree with you. For the most part, they have to continue to do what they've done the last four or five weeks if they want an opportunity to win this football right. game. And Josh Sweat, I think, is going to be back, and Chris. I, man, I don't know, man. This is, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think something that you said, though, bro, is very true. And that's how much Daniel Jones has improved in the pocket, sensing the pressure, like even the little subtleties of him stepping up, shifting to one side. And then obviously the more apparent things like him using his legs and evading the pocket and picking up first downs with his legs. That's all well and good. But just watching him maneuver in the pocket, I, I feel like it's, it's almost night and day from what we've seen in previous years. And that's just a sense of comfortability because this the line year, from even yeah. within this year, he's, he's gotten so much better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the quick passing game helps that as well. Cause the football is coming out of his hands very fast. And I think we touched on this at the top of the show with Isaiah Hodgins, like that addition is so key because now the giants can effectively run 11 personnel, which allows you to operate out of the quick game in the manner that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka want to. So if there is like an unsung hero on this team, which I think he's starting to be sung, I don't really know if that's a you know way you phrase this, but it's Isaiah Hodgins, man, like that, that off that addition is so key. Everyone was talking about, you know, Joe Sheen needs to go and trade for this. He needs to do that. Oh, he traded Kadarius Tony. It's the end of the world. You go and you just pluck somebody that you're a little bit familiar with from the Buffalo Bills, and he's having this kind of impact. He just had eight catches, nine targets for over a hundred yards and a touchdown. Right. Like this guy, like, 
and he's a real receiver. I know we already touched on this. It's just, I, I really think that is one of the best him. additions in the entire him. NFL in terms of cost. Like he costs nothing. And, he's and I saw Dan, I saw Dan I, cause I, I watch you guys. I don't always comment on every one of your tweets, but I saw Dan come around on Hodgins. Cause I saw you, it was when Hodgins first came up, you got into a little bit of a debate. I forgot who it was with where you were like, I think Slayton's the number one guy. And then about two or three weeks later, you were like Hodges is the number one guy, so you and uh, that's very fair. It was when he had had only played with the Giants for a week or two, but he, I am, I'm, I think he's far and away the number one wide receiver now at this point in this offense. Yeah, without a doubt, they, they, the different roles, they're different roles. Yeah, they have too. very yeah. different roles. Yeah, he's the straight line speed guy, the guy, the, the one guy that could take the top off the defense in this offense. Hodges is kind of a multi multifaceted type of wide receiver, so and he's got hands, something that Darius Slayton does not. And the Giants do something that we've complained about in prior coaching staffs that they didn't do with Evan Ingram or Darius Slayton, and that's just use him on horizontal drag routes. Those are simple, yeah. <laughs> supposed to be simple catch opportunities, right? Like I know Darius Slayton dropped the third and 15 last week, but get the football into your wide receiver's hands, your fast wide receiver's hand, and just allow him to make a play. And I feel like the Giants have really maximized his ability this year. 100%. But speaking about, and I know you probably got to go soon, right, Dan? Yeah, I probably have time for one more. Speaking about getting the ball into the wide receiver's hands, and I know you love breaking down the quarterback play. What about that freaking throw to Isaiah Hodgins when he's going against his body? 25 yards, I think it was about a 30-yard throw maybe from about his own 45 to the 25, whatever it was. That reminded me of the throw by Aaron Rodgers against the uh, Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs in 2016. To what's his name? Who was that tight end? It was like a crap. Rogers, I think it, it might have been Rogers, actually. Richard Rogers. It Richard Rogers. It might have been Richard. Rogers. Richard you're talking Rogers. about the one again. You talk about the one against Dallas or divisional round, third and twenty. You know yeah. that, was that Jared Cook. It might have been Jared Cook. Cook. It was, it was Jared, Jared Cook. Yeah. yeah, but that throw when I watched it, I'm like that remind that was similar to that throw. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think that was a full display of his arm talent. I Look, maybe it's always been there, and I didn't know it, but I do feel like with the offseason work that Daniel Jones has put in, he's throwing the, the balls come out way better this year to me than I've seen at times. There were times down the stretch of like 2020 and 2021 where especially the cold weather games where the ball would, would, wouldn't come out the way it's coming out now. And I know he's had some dome games, but he threw it really well against the Colts in that cold game at home a couple weeks ago that I was at. And on that throw, man, like oh, you, you were said, at that you game? I was at that game. Ooh, I, wasn't I was at that, that game. We should have met up. I wasn't, supposed, I wasn't supposed to say that on air. Hopefully my boss <laughs> is not listening to this podcast. But um, look, on that throw to Hodgins on the sideline, like you said, it's such a difficult throw because as a righty, you have you're rolling to your left. And you have to you're not like if you're rolling to your right as a righty, you can kind of with the with the roll, use your momentum into the throw. But if you're rolling to your left, you have to flip your hips. And then once you flip your hips, you don't even really have time to reset your bat, reset your base and find a new base to throw from. And that's, so that's all arm at that point. You're using your arm entirely. And that ball, as you watch that ball from the end zone angle come out, it's straight on a line with velocity to the point like it doesn't it's a perfect spiral to that point so i mean that, and that wasn't the only like high on quick yeah it get, exactly it's getting out there on a line with velocity but i even thought the throw right after it was almost in some ways even more impressive something because nick said about that throw that i didn't even really realize the first time i watched it the throw to slayton in the end zone that slayton uh didn't come down with that back shoulder one yeah, yeah on yeah. that throw not only is it perfect trajectory to get that ball into that spot, like you have to change your arm angle and your arm slot to get it there. 
and perfect ball placement. Like, no offense to Slayton, but if it's a better wide receiver, he's coming down and catching that football, to be honest. Like, it is what it is. Like, if you throw it to a T. Higgins, it's never oh. not going to be caught. Yeah. Like, he's getting the catch. He's putting – but what Nick said about that, though, which is really interesting to me, is with the pocket the way it was and with the pressure coming in, he didn't actually have time to step into the throw. So he drove that throw all from a no step. So he's able to get the ball all the way to that spot he was able to get it to, which is basically from the middle of the field to the far outside shoulder in the end zone by the by the sideline, by the back pylon, basically. I think it was an inch or two from the back pylon. It was a far Without hash stepping too, into the throw. What would you say? It was a far hash. It wasn't even far the middle hash. Of the yeah. yeah, even crazier. Without even stepping into the throw. So that one was the one that I was like, holy crap. Like, and it is what it is. Like, I think at times I've been kind of, uh, I don't know if I've given enough praise to Jones's arm talent. I think I'm finally coming around to like this dude. I'm the same way. Really, I'll be, I, really good. Arm. I, yeah. He has shown arm talent this year. I didn't know he had. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Um, but yeah, uh, shout, I'm going to shout your guys podcast out. They're fantastic. I don't, you guys are relatively new to YouTube, right? Yes. Very new. Yeah. We started this year. Yeah. So like, they deserve a lot more subscribers than they have. So go over there Thank and check you. them out. Links in the description below. Really good guys. Um, and they get really knowledgeable. I, as you can tell throughout the conversation we're having, they do film breakdowns. They have a really good podcast. So go over there, check them out there. Obviously, Apple Apple as well. So you, you could listen to them there or you could listen to them on YouTube. But um, definitely go ahead and check them out, man. And uh, yeah, Dan, if you got to go. Cause I know you said I'm going to jump off, but I did want to say thank you again, Chris, for having me and Nick as well. It's, we love doing this. It's a lot of fun. Our listeners love it when we post it to our feed as well. So we need to keep these going. Obviously, I think we should do the same thing we did last week and say that if the Giants win again, we're going to do it again. Next I, week. I tell you what, it, obviously it won't be as frequent. Yes. We could do something maybe biweekly or yeah, monthly during, during the offseason sure. talking about the draft or whatever. So yep. um, we'll definitely continue to link up. I love you guys. I think you guys, you know, you bring a lot of value to my channel. And, you know, hopefully I'm helping you guys grow. And, and thank you guys for putting me on your podcast as well. Yep. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of the show, and I'll sp I'll speak to you guys soon. All right, Dan. Talk soon, buddy. We're gonna hang around for a bit. We're gonna, you, you're good to go, right? Yeah. You know, glad to get rid of that Eagles fan. Jeez. Who the hell wears a green shirt, Dan? Come on, bro. You're embarrassing us. Newsbox <laughs> says I can't remember how much was Hodgins used compared to when the Eagles faced us the first time. I see him possibly having a good game. Um, I could take a quick look at how many targets he had the first time around against the Eagles. I don't I feel like he was effective. I mean, there was a couple situations where the Giants ran double moves against James Bradbury and they stacked on top. Of him. One of them was Hodgins. I think another one was Darius Slayton. Like there were some explosive plays to be had in that game that Jones didn't necessarily pull the trigger on. And Brian Dable kind of referenced that after the game a little bit, not so many words, but if those situations arise now, the confidence and the way this offense is cooking and dialing up some deep shots that we saw early against the Minnesota Vikings. I think Daniel Jones pulls the trigger on it. And if that can happen, you can kind of shock Philadelphia. Like if you take the air out of that building early, Chris, who knows what could happen. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what, and we didn't talk about this yet. By the way, he had six targets in that game. He had four catches, 38 yards. I think I just saw. So for, for the, for whoever has that, um, but I'm going to tell you what, I think the Eagles, we may catch them off guard in the first quarter because this is a team now that's coming up the bye. And we've seen this before. We saw the Packers in 2011. They didn't look like themselves when we played them in the first quarter. kind of took them a quarter. And that happens a lot of the times when teams have a bye. The other things that I think could play to the Giants' favor, third time we're playing this team. Third time we're playing this team. And the second time around, they didn't really get a look at us because we didn't play our starters. We got to look at them. 
third time we're playing this team. Historically speaking, teams that have swept a team in the regular season when they play them in the playoffs, they are only 15-9. and nine. Now, people hear that record, they're like, that's still a winning record. Sure, but it's happened 24 times, meaning in the regular season, the record's 48-0. And in the postseason, it's 15-9. and nine. So getting a third look at a team means a lot. The other thing, you know this, Brian Dable coached Jalen Hurts in college. So he knows him pretty well. You know, you can make an argument. He knows him as well as any opposing coach in the NFL. So those are little things that maybe play to our favor. Am I grasping at straws? I don't think you're grasping at straws, but Jalen Hurts has developed significantly Definitely since his developed. time Definitely in Alabama. Developed. But you're right. They they have a really personal connection, Brian Dable and Jalen Hurts. But I think it's going to come down to that shoulder, too, and how comfortable he is. If we see on the first drive Jalen Hurts lower his shoulder into Jalen Smith, it's going to be like, ah, oh, crap, man. He's, he's fully back. You know, I want the kid to be healthy. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, like... 100% Jalen Hurts, you know, that's that's a scary feat. You know, I'd rather have 75% Jalen Hurts. He can be 100% after the game. 20%. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think Hurts, I'm going to go into the game thinking Hurts is going to be Hurts. I think he's going to be himself. I'm okay. hoping he's not, but that's what I'm going to assume going into the game. And that's what Wink Martindale assumes, as he said, too, in the press conference, I think, yesterday. He's like, hey, that's a possible MVP candidate right there. You can't take him lightly. It would be foolish to do that. You got to prepare. You got to prepare for the worst, right? And hope for the best. Angel says, "What's up, Chris? In the hospital right now with pneumonia. We'll get better. Thank you Boy. for thank you for popping in, man. Waiting room is packed. Thanks for streaming to buy time. Let's go, Big Blue F Philly. What up, Banter? Yo, what's up, man? Hey, I hope you feel better. Pneumonia. That sounds like a like a trip. Hopefully, the Giants give you some good medicine on Saturday night and they defeat those." Philadelphia Eagles that you say F F Philly. I like how you don't cut. I don't like Saturday. I, I want it to play on Sunday. I don't like, but it is night. Not playing at night. I guess is kind of cool, but I, I don't like the Saturday game. I'd rather rather would. I wish it was on Sunday. As do I. I mean, it kind of sucks for us. The Eagles had an entire break, and the Giants are playing with six days to rest. So yeah. it's a little bit of a condensed week. It's one disadvantage, yeah. I guess you can look into. Yeah, so advantage Eagles, but maybe like I said, maybe they come out rusty because they had they two could. weeks off. Definitely could. Ayub says we're not hot. We're three, three, and one our last seven games. All right. Is Ayub uh, is he a giant fan? He he pretends he I'm gonna tell you what Ayub is. Ayub is one of these fans that wants Daniel Jones gone at all costs. So he, he's a Giants fan, I suppose, that just hates Daniel Jones. So he wants he wants the team to lose so we get a draft pick and we can take a quarterback. That's what he wanted all year. Mm. And it didn't happen. So sorry, Ayub. It doesn't matter what happens in this game. Daniel Jones coming back. Sorry. Sorry to, sorry to bust your bubble. But as far that's as the some, three. That's some far, Kimberly. Look, oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that's some Kimberly Martin stuff right there, Ayub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let, let, let's break down the three, three, and one. The last game we put all of our backups, okay, against the Eagles. So throw that away. So it's really three, two, and one. Okay, the Vikings game, we should have won on the road against a very good team, and we played very good in that game. So the team has been playing well, okay? Um, We put up 38 points against the Colts. Think about this. This New York Giants team is averaging 28 points over the last three games. They're averaging over 26 points, I think, over the last five games. And they've had back-to-back 30-point games with Daniel Jones starting a quarterback because he didn't play, obviously, the last game of the regular season against the Eagles. We haven't had an offensive performance where we put up 30 points since Pat Shermer. We had a 30-point game with Judge, but we had a pick six. Um, So our last two games, which Jones has played, the offense has done something they haven't done since 2019 in back-to-back games. So so we absolutely are playing our best football right now. I don't even think it's a debate. Do you? No, I don't. I think the Giants are easily playing their best football 
right now. Just from an offensive standpoint, man, they, they have an arsenal that they're using, right? It's not just we're going to hand the football off to Saquon Barkley like it was against Houston or like it was early in the season where it was hand the ball off to Saquon Barkley, play action bootleg with Daniel Jones. Now they actually have a quick and efficient passing attack and they can still run the football, which they're doing pretty damn well. So I'm really pleased with the way the offense is playing and with these additions of Leonard Williams, Xavier McKinney, and Adoree Jackson back on defense, that could really help one of the weaker points of our team, which has been the defense all season. Hopefully it really helps the run defense. Cause that's like Dan said at the top of the show. That's what I'm really worried about is, is the run defense, which is crazy because their passing attack is insane. I, but I agree. I'm more worried about them being able to jam the ball down our throat and dying by, you know, a, a thousand paper cuts. That's what I worry about them. Just slowly methodically driving down the field hurts, killing us with his legs um, because of how bad we've been against the run this year. So I'm in complete agreement that I worry that I want Hurts to throw. I want Hurts to throw because I do think if you could force him to throw, he's going to make a mistake or two if you put him if if we could contain him from within the pocket. So we'll see. I think where you where I really worry about Hurts is when he's able to break containment, and then he has the option to either beat you with his legs or he gives his wide receivers more time to get open. And when you have those talented wide receivers like Devontae Smith and AJ Brown, more often than not, you give him a couple of extra seconds. If Hurts is able to break containment, they're going to create a big play. So. If we could keep him contained in the pocket, I do think we could we could have a decent day defensively, but that's much easier said than done. Of course. Um, Rich Rodriguez says, 07, they won on my 19th birthday. I was happy for years. I'm still happy about 07. So uh, am I. I, I still haven't gotten over 07. Um, I never will. I never will. It was yeah. literally one of the best experiences of my life. That might sound pathetic, but it meant so much. I don't so think that's pathetic at all. Like, that was this incredible. is the right channel for that kind of rhetoric. You're right. This is the yeah. right channel. <laughs> <laughs> and Fix the Line says, you guys should call a game together next year. hundred. I mean, I you know, I don't know if yeah, I I definitely have you on the channel to do, to do a live game if you wanted to when you if you guys are free. I know you guys probably, you know, maybe you guys want to watch it so you could do your content. But if you guys are free, you want to come on live, you're always more than welcome. I'm open to that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you see um, the uh, watch party that Bobby and Justin did? Yeah, that was awesome, man. How cool did they have like, the whole bar rented out? Yeah, it's so cool, man. I'm so happy. I for I that. They're doing it again this week, but obviously I do it on my channel. But I said next year we're, we got to do something like that because I, I saw I'm like, I got to do that. That was awesome. They had like 300 people there. It just was so cheering cool. on the Giants, man. It was motivating. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and uh, behind the behind the fiend says, I think an advantage for the Giants is no secondary. Really respect how dangerous Hodgins is. He kind of reminds me of J.J. Stokes from back in the day. J.J. Stokes. I wanted the Giants to draft J.J. Stokes. Do you remember J.J. Stokes? I do. Yeah, that's a name from He went. He went Pat. to uh, UCLA, if I recall. And, I'm trying to remember uh, what draft he was in. He was, he was in the draft where we took Tyrone Wheatley. Oh, so this is like a little bit before my time. Like, I remember like that name, but I was not paying attention to the draft when I was like seven years old. Yeah, we took. We, I, I think Stokes went the pick before us. I think we picked 12th, and the Niners picked 11th, if I recall, because I wanted Stokes. That's why I, I remember where we were picking, but he ended up going the pick before we went. Um, and Jeez, we ended yeah. up taking Tyrone Wheatley. I was um, five that year. That was 95. That was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But um, <laughs> yeah, so Stokes ended up being a decent receiver for the Niners. But yeah, it's actually a decent comparison. Stokes was. A, Similar. Stokes was tall, pretty tall, if I recall. I think he was like 6'3". I, I don't remember, but I remember I liked him a lot coming out of college. But I was young then. I was, I was what, 10 maybe to 12? Espy says, this team has improved a ton, even the coaching. 
Oh yeah. I would I would start with the coaching. I wouldn't the, the word even. No, I would say the coaching has improved a ton. Even the team, like the coaching, to me is is the driving force because it's basically the same team that we've had. I mean, obviously players like Hodgins, Kayvon, the rookies have contributed. I don't want to downplay that, but probably out of the 15 most important players on this team, 12 or 13 came from the prior regime. To, to me, it's been the coaching that has been getting the most out of these players. The coaching hundred percent is the, the difference making part of the 2022 New York giants, but also the front office and Joe Shane. Cause look how many guys who weren't in training camp are having such a huge impact, Chris, on this team, like the Fabian Moreau's, the Isaiah Hodgins of the world and players like that who stepped in. And when the giants signed them, we're like, Oh yeah, that's nice. That's cool. We'll see. And here they are playing what 50 plus snaps in this game and being well, like our two starting middle linebackers right now are two guys who other teams just cast away and Gerard Davis and Jalen Smith, both of these guys are playing in the divisional, starting in the divisional round more than likely. Like that is kind of crazy. That doesn't happen all that often, but that just kind of speaks to the front office and the pro personnel department of the New York Giants right now, which is an excellent place to be in, bro. Yeah. And the wide receivers too. I mean, Richie James, right? Richie guy yeah. contributed this year, right? I mean, Isaiah Hodgins contributed this year. So a hundred percent, I'm not trying to downplay what Joe Shane did. Joe Shane, for what he inherited this cap situation, are you kidding me? Incredible job by Joe Shane year one. Incredible. Chris, Dan and I talk about this sometimes. Think back to training camp. Put yourself back into August when we were talking about the New York Giants wide receiver position, right? Like we were talking about, okay, 11 personnel. Galladay, Tony, Wandell, who is going to be the fourth Sterling Shepard. None of those guys are playing right now. It's nuts. And even guys like David Sills, he was that other name. And we're like, oh, David Sills, he's nice. He had a couple moments throughout the season. He's still an inactive player. You have a bunch of new faces here and Darius Slayton, the guy who everyone buried. Everyone said he wasn't going to make the roster. And there was reasons for that. He wasn't going to, by the way. If Colin Johnson stays healthy, he doesn't make the team. Yes. And the Colin Johnson thing, that's another just injury that I feel like Colin Johnson would add a huge impact on this I team. Similar to what we're training seeing. Look great in training camp. To Isaiah Hodgins. Yet still, Daniel Jones is able to take to this offense. The coaching is able to get the most out of him, despite the fact that he hasn't really worked with these guys all that much because even the ones who were there in training camp were playing with like the third team in Richie James and Darius Slane. Like they didn't really see a lot of first team snaps with Daniel Jones. It really speaks to. I think somewhat of an anomaly. We don't see a lot of teams make the divisional round with that type of wide receiver situation with a quarterback who struggled the first three years, four years of his career with a rookie head coach and holes on the defensive side of the football. It just really speaks to, as Bob said, or it wasn't Bob, whoever it was before, the coaching and how how just impactful it's been this season. It's been incredible. If he doesn't win coach of the year, I don't know who's going to. I mean, at this point, incredible. no, it has to be Dable. Yeah, it has to be. Bob, man, thank you. He says, dudes, I cried after the 07 Super Bowl. Literally, literally wept. I did not. I probably should have. I did not. I, but what I will tell you, I did, Bob. I went to the bar. right. At, I was at my girlfriend's house at the time. We had a Super Bowl party. And obviously, watched the game there. Watched it to its conclusion. I went to the bar until about 5 a.m. And I just got obliterated. <laughs> I was that, that was that was incredible. Like, And I just called out sick the next day. I'm like, I'm, I'm partying tonight. Like incredible experience and um yeah I, I i still didn't up until the last second of that game i didn't think we were gonna win even after plaxico burst caught the touchdown when brady got the ball back with even you know more than 30 seconds left i'm still like it ain't over yet you know and i and, and yeah and once that, and once that ball dropped i for a single game that will never be topped Ever. I don't think for any sport team that I root for, that will never. I talk about it this season, I think, could surpass that as my favorite team if they win the Super Bowl. But for a single game, 
That will never be topped. Ever, ever, ever. Incredible moment. Right there with you. I mean, when Jay Alford sacked Tom Brady, that was the moment when I was like, is this really going to freaking happen? I mean, I guess you can say that about David Tyree, obviously, just a couple minutes before that. But once Jay Alford had that sack, a rookie, right? A rookie, what? A third Rock. or fourth round pick at, I think, Penn State, just rocked him through the line of scrimmage. I was like, oh my God, we're actually going to do this. Oh my, I could weep right now, to be honest. It was such a great experience. Oh, can't top it. GW says, how many post games must Daniel Jones win in a row, postseason games? Must Daniel Jones win a row for the haters to stop hating? Um, I'm going to be honest with you, GW, they're never going to stop hating. That, should, that, that just comes with the territory in New York, especially... I, I've said this, uh, I don't know if I said it to you guys or somebody, I've said it to several people in the past that I've, you know, I've had on the channel. I think quarterback for the New York Giants is the, if it's not the highest pressured position in all of sports, I'm talking all four major sports, it's mm. among them. The New York market at that position, whether it's the Jets or the Giants, it's immense pressure. And I'm going to tell you what, Eli Manning, GW, Eli Manning won a Super Bowl. There were fans that wanted him off the team in 2010. Two years later, they wanted him off the team. I'm not saying a lot of fans, but there were fans. He still had hate. You remember going into that year, 2011, before the season started, people were mocking him when he said that he was elite. And so, and then, obviously, he backed it up, and he had a great year. But even he, after he won a Super Bowl, he still was get, uh, catching a lot of heat from this fan base. And then after he won a second one, they gave him two or three years. And then, they, and then the pressure mounted again. So that's never going to go away. And I think... That's why it's so important that Daniel Jones has the demeanor that he does. Um, I think he's built much like Eli was in terms of to deal with the pressures of the New York market. And don't think for a second, by the way, that they didn't take that into their evaluation process when they took him sixth overall. It 100% went into the evaluation process. Look, a lot of people can look good throwing in their underwear, right, at the combine and making those throws with excellent trajectory and velocity, but you got to get to know the character. And I feel like that's something that Dave Gettleman did with Daniel Jones and Pat Shermer did with Daniel Jones because look at Zach Wilson right across the way. Zach Wilson, he does not have the same makeup of a Daniel Jones. I guarantee what that kid is not first in, last out. And that is a, the conscientiousness of Daniel Jones is one big reason why we're seeing the success. And I'm so glad that those fruits are finally being born. Oh, dude, I... He's got that. He's always had that. Mm. The work ethic, he's always had that. Um, yep. Now you're starting to see the results. Michael says, mid-January and discussing the damn draft, we are witnessing the culture shift. Did we Have we even talked about the draft today? I yeah, we're, yeah I'm not really. <laughs> 2011, yeah. I was in Afghanistan for that Super Bowl. Best one. Go Giants. Go Army. Mike, yeah. uh, okay, so Michael, you were in the Army. I was in Afghanistan for that Super Bowl, too, but I was in the Marines. I was in the Sangam River Valley, so shout out what, uh, what province you were in. I was in Hellman. Uh, that'd be a cool little talking point. Find me on Twitter if you want to shoot the shit about it. Thank you for your service, Michael, and thank you for your service. Um, but, yeah, so, no, I mean, I'm not even thinking about the draft, Michael. I mean, if, of course, if somebody asks me a question about the draft, I'll, I'll answer it. But uh, right now, I'm thinking about the Super Bowl. We're two wins away from going to a Super Bowl. That's what my priorities are right now. That's what I'm thinking about as a New York Giant fan. Um, the 2011 season was incredible, too. I still say it to this day. Eli Manning should have won the MVP that year. I, I know his stats didn't say it. Aaron Rodgers had the stats. But what he did with that team, putting the team on his back, all the come-from-behind victories, like, Eli Manning that year was on another level. So that, that was such a special season. Ayub says, Joe Shane hasn't made any moves. Davey G was better. He's just trolling at this point. He's, He's funny, man. 
But I will give Gettleman some credit. Like I did this, people hated that I put that out, but it's, it, I'm going to tell you how I feel. Yeah, he did some good. He did more bad, but he did some good. He left us with a left tackle. He left us with a quarterback. He left us with Dexter Lawrence, who's an all-pro defensive tackle. He left us with Leonard Williams. He left us with Darius Slayton, who's helped somewhat. Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, Aziz Oljolari. He left us with some pieces, some building blocks. And now we've got a smarter man who knows how to build the rest of this roster. In a much more modern manner, too. I think you can give Dave Gettleman some praise while also acknowledging he did a lot wrong. And that was one reason why he ended up losing his job or retiring as as I'm I'm okay with the Giants letting the man retire. Dave yeah. Gettleman had a Dave Gettleman had a part in assembling the roster that helped the Giants win the Super Bowls back in 07 and 11. So I think he does this, he, I'm glad they allowed him to retire. I know a lot of people want to blood back then, which I also get because it was such a bad couple of years with him as the general manager. Yeah, I get it. But yeah, same, same as you. I was fine with him retiring. Beyond the Fiend says Rich Ellison called DJ the new Kaepernick. Rich Eisen. I misread it. You did say Rich Eisen. I read it as Rich Ellison. I actually watched that podcast, and I don't normally watch the Rich Eisen, but naturally, after the Giants win a playoff game, I will go to, you know, Eisen. And, you know, I I've actually still haven't listened to Sims, who's usually very pro-Jones, so I, I, I'm actually going to listen to him. Uh, you listen to the ESPN. You just want to see what the national media is saying about your team, your quarterback. And I listened to that. And when I heard it, and I actually mentioned this on another podcast, I was like, I can't believe, because people have asked me for years, who's a good comparison for Daniel Jones? And I always bring up, you know, the, what, what people compared him to when he came out of out of the draft was Alex Smith, Ryan Tannehill. And I could see it somewhat, but I always said he's not really Alex Smith because he's got a much bigger arm than Alex Smith ever had. Alex Smith had a noodle. He was just a very smart quarterback, cerebral. He had mobility, and he knew his limitations. Um, and he, and he wor- turned out to be a very good quarterback from within the NFL. I'm not trying to knock Alex Smith, but I, I always thought Daniel Jones had a higher ceiling because of his arm. Um, and then Tannehill, I was like, somewhat similar. But I even him, I'm like, I think Jones has a little bit bigger of an arm than he does. I listen to eyes, and I'm like, I can't believe I never thought of Colin Kaepernick. And I'm not saying he's identical any way, shape, or form. Kaepernick had a cannon. He had a Hollister. Yeah. But Kaepernick was not – I think Jones is a – a, a a more well-rounded passer. Kaepernick didn't really have much touch on his throws. I think Jones has evolved into a guy that probably scans the field maybe a little bit more than Kaepernick did, but Kaepernick had a cannon. But in terms of their play style, especially with the way that he played against Minnesota this past week, I was like, that comparison actually makes some sense in terms of their play style. I'm not saying they're identical at all. I know, yeah. But I could see it. I, I listened to him like, that's actually not bad. In terms of, yeah, how much he scrambles and things like that, I get it. And I think you're 100% right, Chris. I think Daniel Jones has a much more, uh, a much better ball, probably in terms of how it comes out, the trajectory he uses from an accuracy standpoint. But you're right, man, Kaepernick, dude, he would sling it. And he was, damn, he was so dynamic when he first broke into the league and how he was being used by Greg Roman. It was, it was excellent. It was fun to watch. Yo, dude. But, when I listen to Eisenhower, I'm like, this playoff game reminded me of Kaepernick's performance yeah. when he was in the playoffs when he first came in. He ran for like 250 yards in one game. I, I think yeah. it was against against Packers. Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I could see some similarities. Obviously, you're you're gonna pick and choose certain guys. I could see some similarities with Kaepernick. The other guy from a mechanic standpoint, and I'm not saying he's as good as this guy, but just from a mechanic standpoint, because I was watching um, Trevor Lawrence the other day, and it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence, by the way, but I was watching Trevor Lawrence the other day in his first playoff game, and it made me think of Andrew Luck 
Because just because of how they were both really talked about coming into the pros, first overall picks. And I'm like, I'm just going to go back and watch some Andrew Luck highlights. I want to remember how good this guy was. And I'm watching him. And I'm like, this looks just like Daniel Jones in terms of his mechanics, in terms of the way that he drops back in the pocket, the way that he holds the football. I was like, that looks just like Daniel Jones. So that Andrew Luck's, I guess, mechanics kind of reminded me of Daniel Jones when I watched him. Andrew Luck was doing so many more full field progressions and things like that. Daniel oh, Jones Andrew Luck can do that. Yeah, of course. But like how Andrew Luck would drop back, check the one, get to the two, get to the three, check down if it wasn't there. Like it was so mechanical and so excellent. I think Daniel Jones has that though too, man. Like they don't ask him to do that super often in terms of the full field. But when he does do it, you're right, man. It's it's crisp. It's smooth. He's stepping up into the pocket. He's feeling the rush. I feel like that part of his game, as well as identifying the blitz and knowing where the pressure is coming, has taken great strides in Brian Dable's system. Credit to the coaching. Credit to the kid. Oh, he's been great. Let me read the rest of this. I don't know, and I can't believe I'm saying it because he was an eagle, but he has some Cunningham in his game now. I mean, he's, he's able to run. He's able to run. Um, Cunningham was a better run. I mean, Cunningham was – forget about it. But um, he's able to run. There's no doubt about it. And he's a legitimate runner now. It's not like – you know, people used to say, you just got straight line speed. No, this kid can run. This this kid can make plays with his legs. And I, I think one of the most underrated – attributes and I've always said this about his ability to run his fake has always been great his fake his sell on the RPO he's one of the best in the league at that I I think Lamar Jackson's probably the best at that but Jones is damn good at that in terms of the fake um and he's gotten better at the bootleg fake and everything but he's really good at selling that 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 fake handoff um and I think that has a lot to do with why he has those open running lanes because the defenders bite that ball handling is great you know it's excellent the way he puts it into Saquon Barkley's chest, and then he just tucks it kind of by his groin and then rolls out. He faked out the Chicago Bears defense twice for two touchdowns. They just didn't even realize that he was a threat with his legs. That was honestly the Minnesota Vikings might have been the worst defense we watched this year, but the Chicago Bears were very close. And they're both in yeah. the NFC North. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. <laughs> they were not Pete, good. Peter says, Hello, guys. Per Michael K, he says the Giants are 10 and 0 on short re- weeks, and Daniel Jones is 9 and 0. Can you confirm that? I no, uh, that's not it's not true. Uh, Giants lost so many Thursday night football games. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you misheard him, Pete. Um, yeah, there's no. We lost Thursday night this week, this year. We we, we lost, lost on we, we lost, lost every on, Thursday every Thursday game. Daniel Jones has been a part of. We, we lost, lost on Thanksgiving, so there's no way we're ten and zero. I mean, it, it, even if it was in the last ten short rest games, we, we lost on Thanksgiving this year. So. Maybe meant on Saturdays when they play on Saturday historically. Maybe that's the case. Uh, but even the Daniel Jones record doesn't make sense because we lost on Thanksgiving this year. So that's 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 false. But maybe you misheard, Pete. Muted Growl says the offense has unarguably been fundamentally different since the first Skins game. What triggered the change? Coaches trust in DJ, trust in the wide receivers or offensive line. I think it's DJ. Um I'm gonna get. I want to get your opinion on this as well. I mean, I think it's a culmination of everything, but I, yeah. I think it's more so DJ than anything else. I think, I think that they always had this plan all along that they were eventually going to evolve this offense, and they probably planned on doing it sooner than they did. But Wondell Robinson gets hurt. Evan Neal got hurt at one point. Um, they had some injuries on the interior part of that offensive line, so they probably, you know, it took a little longer than maybe they intended to. I, I always, I always said. Right after the bye. I think we played Houston after the bye, right? We that did. was always the game where I thought they were going to really start to open up this offense before the year started. 
it took a little bit longer. But I think it has more to do with Jones than anything else. And I think you got to realize that it takes a quarterback, especially with a quarterback, with all the limitations on this roster, with the line, with the wide receivers. We know we don't have the best of wide receivers. It was always going to take him some time to pick up this offense and get some chemistry with all these guys that he's never thrown to um, and guys that are not Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, right? So I always thought it was going to take a bit of time. But, yeah, I, I think it's Jones more so than anything else. I think it's they, they said, Jones, it's your time now. We're going to give you the opportunity to go out and win these games. And they started to see his progression in terms of his ability to manip- manipulate the pocket by time with his legs. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think it, I think it had more to do with their building trust in Daniel Jones over the course of the season. Agreed, Chris. Now let's go back. The Houston game, right? That was right after the bye week. Isaiah Hodgins' first game. Saquon Barkley had 35 carries. Yes. And that's what you do to beat the Houston Texans. Yep. Next week, the Detroit Lions start blowing out the New York Giants. And in that desperate moment, the Giants were able to kind of take advantage of garbage time. And Daniel Jones cooked. He threw for the most yards that he's thrown, I think, this point. entire year. Right? And that was born out of desperation. And I know it's garbage time. And I know they weren't playing maybe their their best defense, the, the Detroit Lions, although their defense isn't all that great anyways. But Daniel Jones got into a rhythm then. But against Washington... They kind of went back to 12 personnel. We're going to try to run GH counter and, yeah. and just give the ball to Saquon Barkley. And what happened? Didn't really do anything. Kayvon Thibodeau scored the touchdown in Kayvon that game. Kayvon Thibodeau won that game for us. But yeah. overtime comes. Adjustments. That's what we talk about with this coaching staff. So you have a quick passing attack. And there were a couple slant flats. It's just a basic three-step quick passing attack. Sometimes one step, depending on the play, if it's in shotgun. Isaiah Hodgins had like an 11-yard gain. I think Darius Slayton had a nice gain. Couldn't get in the field goal range. That's all well and good. But you started seeing a rhythm and a deviation from what they were doing earlier in the game that did not work. And then against Philadelphia, what happens? Giants are getting blown out. I think they're down like 21-0. So you get 11 personnel, like 86% of the snaps. Three wide receivers out there. You're not using the two, two tight end package. The Giants are able to throw the football in garbage time and get a little bit of a rhythm. And I also feel like they left a lot of points and a lot of yards on the field with some of those double moves that we discussed a little bit earlier. And that's kind of when we started seeing this offense click and we started seeing more of a transition into a quick, efficient passing attack, quick game instead of running the football. And then also just getting Saquon Barkley into space. So I think that was really the kind of the turning point. It all kind of came together with Daniel Jones being in this offense and getting comfortable within this offense with the wide receiver weapons that he still had. Richie James, Darius Slayton, and now this new guy, Isaiah Hodgins. Then you get Daniel Bellinger, who comes back healthy. So that's where I really think it started, was in that Detroit game when the Giants were getting their asses kicked. I never thought about that. And you're absolutely right. That is when it started. That is that is when it started. And, and like you said, they kind of went back to their old ways of the next game. But that's where they started to get a glimpse of what this offense could potentially be. And it only came in garbage time. Now, I, I do think eventually they were going to open up this offense no matter what. I don't think it was because of that garbage time that they suddenly said we could do this. But yeah. that was where you started to see it. You're absolutely right. And Michael says, I meant not the – oh, so you were saying it's great that we're not talking about the draft. Yes, absolutely. Nobody's happier than me. Trust me. I've been talking about the draft like after week 10, 11, the last three regular seasons. So nobody's happier than me to be to- uh, talking post uh, postseason football. And he says he was he was in uh, Kandahar. Yeah, it was Kandahar. Nice, man. Yeah. So we weren't that far away from each other. But uh, I know you're not a Marine, but Semper, bro. <laughs> <laughs> V-Man, what's going on, man? Fun fact, I know you guys love to knock down the Cowboys. The Pokemon franchise is newer than the Cowboys winning a Super Bowl. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a go. good one. So Dan I mean, actually... Dan has a really good bit that he uses against Cowboys fans. Remember how earlier in the podcast he was talking about 
uh, how he used to make fun of the Eagles fans. Well, it was one against Cowboys fans was, hey, you got a VCR so you can go watch your old Super Bowl. <laughs> just going back. You know you don't have a DVD player because it was a long-ass time ago, my friend. That's the only time. Yeah, we had dial-up internet the last time that the uh, the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl. So that tells you all that you need to know. Way, but do you think no, Dallas has a chance to, um, to beat the 49ers? <laughs> I think they have a chance. Yes, I don't think yeah. they will, but I think they certainly have a chance, especially if they play like they did against Tampa Bay, although Tampa Bay is atrocious. But it's going to suck if the Giants do lose this game. We're knocking on wood. Hopefully that does not happen. And then that upset does happen because then we have an NFC championship game with the Cowboys and the Eagles. And I want nothing to do Ugh. with that grossness. That's just disgusting. Oh, yeah, because then, you know, one of them is going to be playing in the big game. So Ugh. and then I'm not. just full on AFC. It doesn't matter who it is. I am full on AFC at that point. <laughs> Yeah, right now, if we don't make it, I'm the biggest 49er fan in the world. Like, uh, keep those two out of the Super Bowl. Mm. Big Moose says 120 minutes to the Super Bowl. Love it. Love it. We got we to gotta get past the 61st. But, yes, 120 minutes to the Super Bowl. Let's go. Hester says Eli's stats would be much better in the West Coast offense. I mean, it was, I mean, uh, 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 what's it? McAdoo kind of ran yeah. a similar variation to the West Coast offense. He got the ball out quick, the two-second offense. Um, and, yeah, you saw his efficiency go way up. Um, but I always thought he was actually better suited for the uh, what was the name of that offense again? Running uh, gun. Yeah, was that the run? The, he brought we it over from the Oilers. Way. Yeah. Yes. Um, I always thought he was better suited for that because Eli's biggest strength was his arm. He always had really good arm strength. He threw a really good deep ball. Um, so even though the percentage may have been down and he threw more picks, I always thought that style of offense suited him better. Um, the thing with McAdoo, why it worked so well. One, it cut down on Eli's picks because you were throwing a lot more shorter throws. But two, you had the playmaker that could turn a three-yard pass into a 60-yard pass, and that was Odell Beckham. So that certainly helped. But I actually always thought that Eli was better suited for the uh, for the, the Gilbride offense as opposed to the uh, McAdoo offense, even though his statistics look better in the McAdoo offense. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Let's see what we got. L. Brown says, Daniel Bellinger has made a difference this year and will in this next game. I agree. I'm a big fan of Bellinger. Um, and they've you could see they've tried to feature him in the in the past game the last three or four oh, yeah. weeks. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Bellinger. I think he's going to be here for a while. I think it was a really good pick. Not to talk too much about the draft, Chris, because we don't want to get lambasted <laughs> in here. But I will say that is excellent scouting. Because remember where Daniel Bellinger came from? He came from San Diego State. San Diego State is known for power running and blocking up front. He was hardly targeted. He wasn't targeted all that often. He wasn't a big feature part of the passing attack at San Diego State. But we see the talent that he has as a receiver, and we see how smart he is. And that is something that I just feel like it's kind of underrated about how Joe Shane and this and this college scouting department go out and they interview these kids and they get to know them and they get to know their intelligence. I really think the smart, tough, and dependable thing is a mantra that we're going to become accustomed to here in New York. And I think it means a lot. It sucks. I know it's unfortunate because a lot of the Giants ended up getting injured and that kind of isn't dependable, but I think a lot of those injuries are somewhat fluky. But the Daniel Bellinger find on day three, this kid steps in. He's a starting tight end. He's a big part of your red zone package. That's excellent because it takes a while, and we've seen it year after year, for tight ends to transition into the NFL. And it seems like a kid who wasn't even in a heavy passing attack transitioned well, and he's been a huge, important factor into the passing attack so far this year. So I think the future is incredibly bright for Daniel Bellinger. And I do think the Giants will probably look to add another tight end this offseason, but we can't I talk about that right now. I agree. Yeah, we're not talking about it now, but I agree with you. I think we need to add another tight end. But you look at that. You look at our draft this year, and we can talk about that because these players are on the team. Um, 
Bellinger looks like he's going to be a big-time contributor. We talked about Cordell Flott. He looks like he's going to be a big-time contributor. I think he's going to be a starting corner on this team. If it's not next year, I think it'll be the year after that. I think it'll be next year, um, whether it be on the slot or the outside. And then uh, Belton also looks like he could be a contributor as well uh, at some point, like in terms of, you know, more of a contributor. And all those guys were day three picks. So yeah. great job by Joe Shane uh, thus far this year as the uh, New York Giants GM. And another name is Darian Beavers, who I had a fantastic him. training camp. Yeah. And with this current linebacker situation, it's hard to tell me if he did not get hurt against the Cincinnati Bengals that he would not be out there right now, maybe Jay, next to Jalen Smith or whoever, but he would be out there. And also Joshua Zudu, who we all kind of forgot about. I, I know he's injured and I know he, he struggled a little bit sometimes anchoring down, but that kid's movement skills are going to fit so damn well into this Brian Dable offense. Hopefully this Mike Kafka offense knocking on wood as well, because he can get up to the second level. He has vice grips for hands. If he is able to frame you and center you directly and fit his hands inside underneath your breastplate, you're done. No one ever breaks away from that. And that's such an important trait for an interior offensive lineman. So I'm really excited about his future as well. It just sucks that he ended up getting dinged up and injured. And I also think Ben Bredesen has stepped in and really took in his game to another level. He's along played, with he's Nick played well this year. Yeah. God, Bredesen. Mm -hmm. He's played much better than he did last year. Um, yeah. What about McKeithen? We didn't get to see him too much. What do you think of him? Yeah, man. I, I, it's hard to say. I watched his college tape and I felt like he kind of was a member of the planet theory that George Young used to talk about, the former Giants general manager, where there aren't a lot of humans who move with that type of size. And I think he does have good movement skills, but he's still a little bit slow for an NFL athlete because he is so large. I, I think he's going to be somebody who will probably be on the practice squad. I hope he can get healthy towards ACL during the uh, blue and white scrimmage over the summer. I was actually at that. I met you there, Chris. That was, that yeah, was really yeah. cool. But uh, I, I'm hoping that he can get back to it. But right now, he's just more of a let's hope he can get healthy and see if he can develop. He's probably going to be a depth guy. Yeah, by all accounts, he's a really intelligent, smart young man. And I think that's another thing that obviously Joe Shane and this front office really want to bring into this building. They're truly building a culture. I don't think that's just like stupid football rhetoric. They really want specific individuals in this building. They want team captains. They want guys who are going to set the example that can be emulated by other players on the team. And that's Daniel Jones like, too, right? Isn't that Daniel Jones? Like, it's, it sounds a lot like Daniel Jones. It sounds a lot like Saquon Barkley. And it sounds a lot like Julian Love. That's why I think all three of those guys are probably coming back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Toasty says, does us beating Philly erase the pain of uh, 2008 and – well, yeah, obviously 2008 they beat us in the playoffs. And then you have the Deshaun Jackson. Well, here's what I'll say, Toasty. And that was a horrible moment in my life as a sports fan. Um, specifically the Deshaun Jackson punt return, because that was just, that was like getting hit by an uppercut. Because we were up by like over 20 points, and they go on like an eight-minute run. Like it wasn't like a – it wasn't like the, the game with the, the Chargers where that happened over the course of like two and a half quarters against the Jaguars. That happened in like seven minutes. Like it was a quick uppercut. You're like, how the hell did that even happen? They recover an onside kick. Michael Vick looks like he's playing Madden, and then they return a punt for a touchdown, and suddenly you just lose a game that you would have – made the playoffs and who knows what would happen after that. We saw what happened the next year. They won the Super Bowl, but that kind of raced the next year for me, Toasty, because we won the Super Bowl. I know it didn't happen against the Eagles, but you forgot all about it the next year. We won the Super Bowl, but in terms of the rivalry with the Eagles, um, yes, uh, yes. If we beat the Eagles in this playoff game, I think it erases both of those. It is worth both of those things happening if we get an opportunity to knock off the Philadelphia Eagles when they're the number one seed in the NFC when we were thought by many to be a supposed laughingstock going into the year in a year in which we expected nothing. And that and that's one thing I really like about this game going in. We have no pressure. None. 
absolutely. And usually, there's always a little bit of pressure going into a playoff game, but no pressure. The Giants yeah. were never supposed to be here. The Eagles are the number one seed. They got the bye. They have been the self, uh, rightly so, the 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 team that was thought to be the best team in this conference since about week eight. So all the pressure's on the Eagles. Like if they lose this game, epic failure, epic. And the New York Giants have already accomplished more than anybody ever thought they would. 100%. And who knows? Pressure. You don't know if they come out sloppy for the first quarter because they're coming off the bye. All of a sudden, that pressure starts to mount. So I love that going into this game that there's no pressure for us. 100%. I think you said it really well, Chris. And Toasty, I'll say this. It might not erase the pain, but it slaps a Band-Aid and a tourniquet on it for sure, right? And it also gives us the bragging rights in the immediate rather than just reflecting back on the past, which who the hell wants to do that? But I'll say this, Chris. Giants haven't won in the link since I think 2013. And that was like a 15 to seven game. And you know, it was the quarterback for that game for the Eagles. It was, I think Matt Michael Vick Barkley. started it. I think Vick started, got hurt. And then they put Matt Barkley in. Yeah, I think Matt, is what yeah, happened. Matt, yeah. Matt Barkley, Which maybe is, didn't start, but he was the quarterback at some point in that game. And their only touchdown, if I'm not mistaken, was like a late fumble return for like a touchdown or something like stupid. But the Giants haven't won in the link since then. But when you think about all the opportunities they've had, they had the Jake Elliott like 61-yard field goal. They lost in the last second 43-yard field goal. Evan Ingram's drop. Oh, my God, that was absolutely ridiculous. That one was really bad. And I think there was another really ridiculous one that is slipping my mind right now. But there was also another really bad one. Like they're, They've been close, man. It's, it's time, right? It's freaking time to win – in the link, and man, that would just be so special. They can I, that to all. me, they're just due. They're due. Like people talk about yeah. the streak, they're, they're like, "Oh, the streak, the streak." We're not going to win. To me, that means no law of averages. We're due. And 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 it was kind of like the uh, the the. And maybe I'm I'm just an optimistic thinker, I guess. But it was the same thing with the primetime games. Everybody's like, Daniel Jones can't win on primetime. Blah 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 blah. And meanwhile, they don't look at the opponents. He went up against Pat Mahomes. He went up against Tom Brady twice. He went, you know, um, and with a horrible football team throughout his entire career with horrible coaching. Um, but I just said, well, that means you just do. And he did. He ended up winning Sunday night football this year against Washington. It's the same thing with the Eagles. We're due. They're not going to win at the link every game for the rest of existence. Yeah. So we're due to beat them. So I, I put no stock into that. The fact that we haven't beaten them since 2013. Yeah. Play your game, come out, Casey, play fundamentally sound and we can win this football game. K St. LW said the Eli game. I think that was 2019 in Philly. They were up 14, nothing took a 17 to three lead. And then they battled back. And I remember Carson Wentz. It was a rainy day. They went to overtime and the Eagles ended up winning. That was a tough one, man. I was remember that, like, wait, 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 wait. What, what year was that? 2018? I think it was 19. I think it was 19. 2019. Was that, that was the game. That was the game where the New York giants were running all over them in the first mm. half. They dominated yeah. in the first half. And then Pat Shermer, I think gave the bark with the ball four times in the second half. Yes, and he was he was just criticized for that because 2017, I think, was the 61-yard field goal. 2018, yes, it, was. it was all consecutive. 2018 was the 43-yard field goal. 2019 was that game, the 17-3 blown Wasn't lead. Wasn't there a blocked punt, too, or something, if I recall? I'm not sure. But 2020, I'm was the, 2020 was Thursday night football, Evan Ingram drop. So it was just like, oh, my God. It was like every game all the way up until now 2021 it was just like whatever the team sucked at that point when they played and this year we sat our starters we, so we beat them last year we beat we beat them daniel jones yeah, that, last, that was start a, last year that was in the meadowland that was where daniel jones got the neck injury too i think it was on yeah. like the second play of the game it was a design quarterback run ironically enough and he went down and he finished the freaking game though Credit i was to the at the, i was at that game i was at the oh game. yeah yeah um this profile isn't real though 
That's a good <laughs> name. He says, guys, are the coaches holding Jones back? He takes the runs, but there are some passes there in the scrambles he's not taking. I don't think the coach is holding him back. I think there was a, a point this year where you could have made that argument, but I think it had more to do with the fact that they wanted to ease him along in a brand new offense with a limited artillery. Let's be honest, the wide receiving core and everything else. So I think that would they at the end of the day, they're trying to do what's best to win games. And they understand their offensive line is not very good at the beginning of the year. They understand they don't have great weapons and they understand they have a quarterback that's learning on the fly in an offense that he's never played in. So at the beginning of the year, yeah, I, I don't think that they completely opened up this offense. And I still don't think that's the scariest part about all this for me. I still don't think they've completely opened up this offense. And I don't think they're going to open it up even f any further at this point because they don't have the weapons. But if you get weapons, this offense is going to open up even further than it already has. But no, I don't think the coaching staff at this point is limiting Daniel Jones. I think I think they're they're doing as much as they possibly think they can with this overall roster. I think they're maximizing Daniel maximizing. Jones, if yeah. anything. That's what they're doing with, with Daniel Jones at the moment. But you're right, man. Like, there's times where there's passes that you think should be completed. I'm pretty sure the coaching staff is saying, if it's man coverage, you don't love what you see, use your legs. And what does he get? He gets like five, six, seven, eight yards on every single one of those carries. It's kind of ridiculous that defenses haven't really adjusted themselves to stop him. We haven't seen too many quarterback spies and not a lot of contain. Like, like we talked about it at the beginning of the show, Chris. The Vikings were just sending their rushers high side all game with no quarterback spy, leaving the B gap wide open. And they didn't stop in the fourth quarter. It was just insane. Like how much, how many times does Daniel Jones have to just make you pay for doing some silly, stupid crap until you adjust? And they just never did. And Daniel Jones was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So until they start adjusting, what's that going to do? That's going to open up more passing lanes. It's going to open up Saquon Barkley, possibly a little bit more in the passing attack. But teams just haven't respected Daniel Jones, his ability with his legs yet this season, all that consistently. And they're all paying for it because he had 700 rushing yards this year and he just ran for over 70 yards in a playoff game do you think the eagles make that adjustment this week because he had 17 carries this past game like do you think the eagles finally make that adjustment and put a spy on daniel jones because if they do that that could help in the passing game if they have to add if they put extra attention on jones to limit him as a runner it may open up some lanes in the passing game it may but one of the things that ed donatel just ignored don't know why the middle of the field he just allowed the middle of the field to be open. That spy more than likely is going to be in the middle of the field a lot, which could 100%. get in the way of some of those crossing routes and those slant routes that the Giants generate from bunch and stacked type of sets. So I would imagine Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, will employ something similar to that. And I'm hoping that that can create more space outside the numbers. You can get maybe Daniel Jones rolling a little bit more, which Mike Kafka has used plenty this season, away from the middle of the field, try to set up easy completions to the outside, to your tight ends or whomever. and maybe set up some deep shots because as much as I love James Bradbury and I believe in his skill set, he can be had on double moves and he's not the fastest cornerback in the league. So you can get Darius Slayton or Isaiah Hodgins behind him. You could possibly create some explosive plays. That would be something that I would love to see because they were available when these two teams met and I think it was week 14. You get me pumped up. Behind the Fiend says, I think Brita needs to get more love to... I think Brita made one of the, the best plays of the game. We mentioned it earlier on the one-yard run where it should have been a four-yard loss. Like... Those are the types of plays that don't show up on the stat sheet, but it shows that guy runs hard. I mean, that guy that guy plays hard. I'm a fan of Rita. I would like him back if, if it's a reasonable contract next year. I actually don't think we've used him enough this year. Um, I like Rita, and I like – I was crying for it for about five straight weeks because they went away from it. Earlier in the year, they were running a lot of two-back sets, 
and they kind of went away from it for about four or five weeks, and now they've brought it back. They brought the orbit motion. They brought. I mean, they they've gotten creative. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a fan of Breeder, and I'm a fan of when they use both him and Barkley at the same time. And you're going to see that again. Um, you you have to because have it was to. a huge point of emphasis against the Vikings. It was one of the big bullet points of the offensive approaches. Get Matt Breida on the field, and then just use diversified rushing approaches to exploit the Vikings front, and it worked. A lot. And there were some really good individual efforts that we brought up a little bit before that that kind of stopped what could have been much bigger gains by DJ Wanham and Zadarius. But I, I really think the Giants are going to employ a similar type of attack. And I'm expecting it not to be predictable, which is, I think is one of my favorite things about this coaching staff, Chris, is they are just not predictable and they will adjust to what you're doing and they'll try to exploit your tendencies. This I don't know what the hell the offense is doing week to week. I try to guess week to week at this point. I've been wrong every week. So if I, you know, well, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. That's a good sign. That means they're unpredictable, like you said. And defenses don't know what's coming. So you're absolutely right. They've been very unpredictable the last four or five weeks. Giovanni says, as a longtime Giants fan, this game is personal. I want to see Philly fans crying on the TV <laughs> when this game is over. I had to say that slow. I had to emphasize the crying. We've dealt with abuse long enough. Uh, listen, there's no team I hate more than the Philadelphia Eagles. And another thing we didn't talk about earlier in the pod, you're Italian, right? Of course. Sirianni's Italian, right? Yes. What's that? He's from New York. This guy comes out yesterday, What's and he, he says they have the, the whole team in, in the offensive uh, game room, whatever it is, they, they order stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. What, 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 what's that? What's that about? They might not have good pizza over there in Philly. I don't know. They're too busy eating their <laughs> cheesesteaks, man. Then get cheesesteaks. Yeah, I know. I don't know. He is. He's definitely a Paisan with the last name Sirianni. And there's not a lot of Paisan coaches. I feel like even Jim Tom Sula was one that comes off the top of my head. He had like a one-year stint in the 49ers and got the can. He was like a defensive line coach after uh, Harbaugh. But yeah, no, he, um, I don't know why he didn't go with some authentic Philly pizza. I'm sure they have great pizza there, but it's not New York or North Jersey, baby. <laughs> and Giovanni, I would like nothing more uh, than to beat the Eagles. This, my worst memories as a sports fan are, are because of them. So I'd like to give them a bad memory. It'd be nice. Um, Hester says, "Will full field reads be a part of the offense in the future?" I think they certainly could. I think it's dependent on what you're attempting to do. Giants are having a ton of success operating quick game, which is much more of a half field read type of offense. But we've seen full field reads this this year as well. It's just not used as frequently. And I think maybe if you have a little bit more trust in your offensive line, you can employ that for me. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think, I think it's as much to do with, I think it's more to do with that than the wide receivers themselves in terms of operating what he just said, a, a full read offense where, Mm. because now like he's saying, a lot of it is where Jones reads half the field because we have to get the ball out fast Um, because they don't trust their offensive line to be able to hold up that long. That's, that's the truth. And if this line continues to grow and get better, yeah, maybe you will see – you will not maybe, you will see more of that. Uh, I fully believe Daniel Jones. I know, like, he's used his legs this year a lot, but I think he's used it out of necessity as much as anything else. It's a weapon, and it's our second-best weapon on the team outside of Saquon Barkley is Daniel Jones' legs. Um, but I think when you get him a more established offensive line, you get him better weapons, he'll run for more like 350 yards, and he'll play more from the pocket. I think he's fully capable of playing from the pocket. I think he just needs to be a little bit more confidence to let it rip when the coaching staff tells him to do that. And again, we don't know what the coaching staff is telling him to do, but he, like we said earlier, Chris, he has 
all the physical capabilities to take advantage of his arm strength. And, and I think he he's starting to get the that. mental capabilities. I, he's starting to get that confidence. I really I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that he doesn't have the mental capabilities. I think he's a smart kid. Yeah, I just yeah. I think there's times he's a little bit more conservative uh, with, with his approach instead of letting it rip when he sees it and fully diagnosing that. And maybe that's because the Giants hired Jason Garrett to be his offensive coordinator. And Jason Garrett's sole purpose, and he actually achieved it, which is funny, was to limit the turnovers because he was so turnover prone back in 2019. But if you go back to 2019 and watch some of that tape, he was letting it rip. You know, one-on-one matchup with Darius Clayton. Take advantage of it. To a fault, by the way, I I thought. Because his stats that year were so misleading. Daniel Jones should have 20 picks. They, they, I remember that year they dropped at least like 10 easy interceptions. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised by that because what everybody said about him coming into the pros, Alex Smith, Alex Smith, Alex Smith. I'm like, okay, we're going to get something similar to kind of what we got with Garrett, hopefully with better production, but a guy that's going to be smart with the ball. And he was the complete opposite of that. He was a gunslinger his first year, and then he, re- he was the complete opposite of that with Jason Garrett. Now he's kind of in the middle. Like he's not quite as as conservative as he was with Garrett, but he's not quite the gunslinger he was when he first came in that's fair my giants 26 says sorry i'm late studying for an sat we are winning sunday i have a gut feeling i just get uh you mean saturday i don't want you to miss the game my giants 26 i have a gut feeling i just get the vibe we're going to win it's in writing we didn't i didn't ask your partner for what what's your prediction for this game prediction man look if i had to pick I think I would go Philly, but I don't want to. My heart is obviously telling me to go with the New York Giants. I think the Giants can win this game either way. I do think this is going to be close. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles will do what they did to the Giants back in week 14. I think the additions of Leonard Williams, Xavier McKinney, and Adore Jackson, they can't be overstated. But if if I'm picking, I might go with the Eagles. But man, sitting here on a live channel with 800 people watching, uh, that makes me sick to my stomach to do. But I, I got to I'm not I can't lie. blame. I, listen, they're the yeah. one seed. I, I I can't blame you for picking the Eagles. They're on the road. They're well rested. They're the one seed. I'm going to pick the Giants because I'm in playoff mode at this point, and I'm just going to ride the momentum. But well, I can confidently say, I really, truly think this is going to be a very close game. I do not think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to blow them out. I do. It not. might, do Chris. It might just come down to whoever makes more mistakes. And that could be one mistake, like drastic, dire mistake, fumbling the football, throwing interceptions. Like the Giants can't do that. The Giants have to play their most efficient football, and they're a team that has thrived on efficiency this season. They can still do it. There's no doubt about that. But they're going to need to take advantage of every opportunity that is presented to them. Like Julian Love, that interception that he didn't come down with, plays like that. Like you have to catch that. Like things like that, I think, are the way the New York Giants are going to win. And also, man, I don't know if Nick Sirianni is going to be calling some of the dumb plays that Kevin O'Connell called. I thought Kevin O'Connell had a really good game, but the game could have been different if he doesn't call the third and one throwback to Kirk Cousins, which was probably oh, the stupidest I play call. I forgot about that call. I'm going to tell you another thing that uh, he did in that game that I couldn't understand. That call was horrible, and that gave mm. the New York Giants so much momentum because Minnesota had a, a picture-perfect drive the first drive, and then the Giants basically just held serve. They scored a touchdown. And then you're like, all right, this is going to be just a 40 to 41 game type, you know. And then that call, because they had them, it was third and one. What were they thinking? And then no, the I, other thing that I couldn't, I, I didn't, I was happy as a Giants fan, but what I didn't understand what Minnesota did. And yeah, you could say the Giants picked up the first down after that, but it might have been in a completely different situation had Minnesota called a timeout. With 30 seconds left in a dome, by the way, in a dome in which Minnesota made a 61 yard field goal, 
three weeks earlier against this same team, the Giants have the ball in their own like eight yard line, ten yard line. You have two timeouts and you don't use it. On like a third, it was a, it was an upcoming I think third and eight. They let the clock one run down. I didn't understand. Yeah. I was happy, but I didn't understand it. Probably because their defense is so bad, and they didn't want the Giants to score any more. Just Thirty seconds left. They're on their own eight yard line. Yeah, I mean, and it's third, and, it's third and eight. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you're not wrong, dude. There, there were definitely mistakes, and I, like I said, I, I praised Kevin O'Connell for his employment of two running backs or two like 21 personnel, I guess I should say, and how that switched the Giants into a base defense, and that led to one of the three explosive plays they had to Adam Thielen because Giants don't want to be in base defense, and by doing that, Adam Thielen got isolated against Gerard Davis, and they just ran a post-wheel route. Adam Thielen just went right to the sideline, had like seven yards of separation on Gerard Davis. Like That's just a complete and utter mismatch. So C.J. Ham was a big part of their adjustments, and I felt like they had success whenever he was out there. Philadelphia doesn't have a CJ ham, but Philadelphia has a ton of other weapons that are so scary when you think about it, because like we said, Devonta Smith is far better than KJ Osborne and Adam Thielen and Goddard and Hawkinson. That's kind of a wash. So the giants need to win the trenches. They need to protect Daniel Jones and we need mistake free, efficient football, which in the giants favor. That's been their mantra this entire year, right? That's how they're winning these games. They're very efficient. They take advantage of other teams' mistakes. They're well-coached, they're well-prepared, and they're disciplined. And they have to be against Philadelphia, and they can they can pull this upset off. It's definitely, definitely within the realm of I definitely think they can win this game. I definitely think they yeah, can win this game. I think they're seven-point They should cover that. I, and the, the other thing I really worry about going into this game, I didn't worry about it so much last week because they were playing in a dome, and I knew that, we weren't ha- we're going to have to defend kickoffs because they were going to go out of the end zone. The weather wasn't a factor. I worry about special teams. I worry oh, yeah. about special teams in this football game. And you know returns punts for the Eagles, Boston Scott. And oh, he's a killer <laughs> against the New York Giants. He, become- he becomes Walter Pay- Payton when he plays the New York Giants. So um, special teams is a big worry for me going into this game. Absolutely. And uh, Chris, before we go on to the next uh, comment, we're getting a little bit of a debate in the comments section. What's okay. better? Domino's or Pizza Hut? Ooh. Okay. Here's the thing with those. I I, I obviously poke fun at those because we're New Yorkers. We take pride yeah. in our Jersey. pizza. But I got you. Or Jersey. Yeah. We're, we're tri-state. We take Connecticut's got good pizza too. We take Great. pride in our pizza, right? So mm-hmm. we poke fun when you hear Pizza Hut. I can eat pizza. It's not like it's like disgusting. Like I can have it. Um, and to me, they're, they're kind of like craving type food. It's like once in a blue moon, you're like, I just got a craving for Domino's. It's yeah. midnight. You're usually back in the day. You're usually stoned and you're like, Oh, let's get, let's go. Let's order Domino's <laughs> or, or you're drunk or whatever. Um, but if I'm going to get one or the other, if you give me the option, you say, Chris, you have to get, you have to order one or the other. I think I'd go pizza hut. Um, Domino's is easier to just like throw down your mouth. It's not as filling. Like I feel like whenever I eat pizza, I'm just like my stomach is I'm like it's, I'm it's, I'm done for like two days. But in terms of the taste, I'd give a slight edge to Pizza Hut. I would give a slight edge to Pizza Hut as well. But I was curious. But either way, I'm always calling a local pizzeria. Like I'm not ordering. Always go with the pizzeria. Yeah. <laughs> it, only if the pizzerias are closed because, as you said, it's late at night and you're drunk and like a Pizza Hut is open late or something like that. That's when you get it. Yeah. MI Giants 26 says C Jones holding the MVP trophy. I don't even know what that is. The MVP trophy. Getting comfortable for the Lombardi trophy. He'll be holding is that the Nickelodeon valuable player? Were we on Nickelodeon last week? 
No, um, I think I think he just maybe meant MVP. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pro- I, I would hope so. Uh, getting comfortable with the Lombardi Trophy, he'll be holding February twelfth. That's my quarterback. That's our quarterback. Hope yeah. so, man. I sure holding hope it so. hopefully fifteen minutes away from where I live, bro. Right over oh, that's there in right. They're playing in Arizona again. Yeah, they are. Now, was that the last time they had a Super Bowl in Arizona? Or did they have one since? I think they had one since. I think they did. I don't remember which one in particular, but the 07 Super Bowl was held out here, and it was one of the best memories ever. Tom Petty <laughs> halftime show. I remember that. Yeah, of course. My Giants 26 is Chris, do you really believe we will win Saturday? Yeah, yeah I, I'm picking us. I pick 27 24. I'm picking us. Yes. Am I, is it, am I nearly as sure as I was last week? No, I'd be lying to you if I said that. I was very confident we were going to beat Minnesota. Very confident. Um, I'm not very confident we're going to beat the Eagles. But yeah, I, I think it's going to, I think it's, it could go either way. And I think we, we're the hot team right now. I'm taking us. But obviously, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Eagles beat us. I mean, they should beat us. They're the better team. They have the bye. I just think there's things playing into our favor that I've mentioned throughout this podcast that I think gives us a good chance. And I'm a Giants fan. So if I'm kind of like one way or the other, I'm going to side with the Giants. So I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's a three or four point game either way. I definitely think the Giants cover the seven and a half. Um, and I think we got a legitimate chance to win this game. I think we have a good chance to win this game. I hope so, man. That would be excellent. Could you imagine NFC championship game after everybody ripped this team off like that? Talk about just amazing coaching and just amazing development. You never know, though. I mean, listen, they you may go know. out there and just completely crap the bed. But um, I don't think so, though. I, I, I think they're going to come out prepared. And I think they're I think they're going to keep this game very competitive. Richard Rodriguez says, hear me out. Thoughts on Easy e paired with Bellinger? You're talking about uh, Eli Manning, I'm assuming, right? Um, no, I, I think mean, he's listen. talking about Evan Ingram. Oh, maybe he's talking about Evan Ingram. Yeah, because we talked about adding another tight end. I actually, uh, I tweeted uh, today, and it got a, it got a uh, I guess, mixed reception. I said if um, Brian Dable was the coaching staff in charge of Evan Ingram, or if he had Evan Ingram on his team, it would have completely justified 100% the first round pick in 2017 because this coaching staff maximizes talent. I think you're right. Evan Ingram would have fit well here. And and, and, I, and listen, it was time to move on. I, I, agree, I Yeah, I, I think I think it was a mental thing with this point at Ingram. I don't think he wanted to be here, and I can't blame him. He got booed every time he stepped on the field last, last year. And I don't blame the fans. He had a lot of crucial drops. Um but I think I I just think it was best to part ways. I'm happy for Ingram because I I never hated Ingram. I hated some of the things that he did in terms of the drops that cost us games and so on and so forth. But he handled it very well. You know, I, I always That's give true. athletes credit for that. You know, when they when they take a lot of help from the fan base, some some athletes don't take it well. Some athletes fire back. He was not one of those athletes. I thought he handled it very professionally, and I'm happy for him that he's doing well in Jacksonville. But I don't think I don't think he was meant. I don't think it was it was going to work out here. I think he was just one of those players that didn't play well in New York. I think it was a mental thing. He always seemed to have drops in crucial moments. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with choking, if you will, like it, mental. I think he had mental issues in terms of pressure in New York. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that this coaching staff would have put him into a much better position had 100%. they had him back in 2017, 2018, to where he still would have dropped the football, maybe. He still would have missed assignments. But the impact that he would have had with this type of coaching, with this type of play calling, what about weighed those types of situations? I don't think just running, you know, like running him out there on a six yard stick and that being his primary route, that's the antithesis of how you're supposed to use an athlete like that. You want to use him on horizontal crossers or use him to stretch the field vertically. You don't want him running routes that are breaking back towards the quarterback. 
That's that's a terrible usage. But that yeah, was just and, you, and you look at uh, the Peterson. I mean, he's always been great with tight ends, and now you're seeing Ingram thrive because of it. So he's been great this year in, in Jacksonville. I'm happy for him. I am. It was yeah. time, though. You're right. It was time. Yeah, it was time. Yeah. Bob says, Tana, Papa G says you're going to do the one-chip challenge. That's but you have to. And I'm not looking forward to it. But What's that? Um, so basically, at, before the year started, um, and I'm going to order that tonight on Amazon. I think it should get here by Friday. I probably will wait until after the playoff game because I don't want it to affect my play-by-play uh, on Saturday. So I don't know what that's going to do to my mouth <laughs> in terms of me being able to call the game. But so basically... It's like the hottest thing you could ever eat. And one of my subscribers uh, before the year started said, Chris, if the Giants win a playoff game, not just make the playoffs, win a playoff game, will you do the one-chip challenge? And I said, yeah, because I didn't think – I'm going to be honest with you. Before you start, I didn't think we were going to win a playoff game. So I was like, that would be worth it. They want a playoff game. So, yeah, I've never had one. I've watched videos of people eat them, and supposedly it's supposed to be, like, horrible. Like, it's like 30 minutes of just your mouth feeling like it's in a volcano. So, oh, no. yeah, I'm nervous about it. But I said I'd do it. Got to do it. Got to be a man of your word. But I'll probably, I'll probably do it after this playoff game. I don't think I'm going to do it for this playoff game because, God forbid, I do it on Friday and my voice isn't good. That's not, that's not going to be very good for the Saturday night playoff game. So I'll probably wait till after that. I thought about... <laughs> I thought about being like Chris. You know what you really should do is if they if they win against Philadelphia, you do too. But I don't want to put you. No, in no way, no way am I doing that. <laughs> Jeez, man. Daniel Jones says, "Can't wait to send them packing their cheeks." Let's go. Let's knock them out of the playoffs. And Hunter Faye, stand up, new member. Welcome to the squad, man. I appreciate it. Anybody that's tuning in right now, we still got over seven hundred people in here. Thank you to everybody for being in here. Uh, midday stream, 6 o'clock, kind of impromptu. Didn't set it up until after I got home from work. So I went live like 10 minutes after I set it up. Didn't know if I was going to get a big crowd or not. Appreciate all you guys for being here. Thank you guys for being the best supporters. Most important thing I want you to do is go into the link after the stream. And I want you to leave now. But after the stream, I want you to go to the link in the description below. I want you to subscribe to Big Blue Banter. Um, two really good guys. They got a great channel. Uh, go over there and check them out. Peter says... Can we please stop Scott this week? Please. Peter, nice. you're right. And it's crazy. We're talking about Boston freaking Scott here. We're not even mentioning Miles Sanders' name, but you're right. Boston Scott, he just has this thing for the New York Giants. Loves to perform against this team. Are you a baseball fan? I like baseball, yeah. He's kind of – Met or Yankees, or do you have another team? So I, uh, I grew up a Yankees fan, but I worked for a while for the New York Mets. So I, I have an affinity with the Mets. I met my girlfriend through the Mets, so there's a – there's a kind of a love for the Mets now, but I'm a Yankee fan at heart. He's kind of like, for me, I don't know how long you were a Mets fan. I'm a diehard Mets fan. For me, Pat Burrell. I don't know if you remember who he was. Not necessarily. What year is that? He was with the Phillies uh, probably in like the late, uh, maybe like the 2007 to 2012 range in that area. Okay, yeah. um, but basically, Pat Burrell was kind of like a pretty good player. He's okay. Similar to like a Boston Scott, but when he played the Mets, he he he. I think he had like 120 career games against the Mets. He had like 45 home runs, and no. and yeah, like I think it's like a third of his career home runs were against the Mets, and, and and that's what Boston Scott is against the Giants. Like he suddenly becomes like Babe Ruth of baseball when he plays the New York Giants. He's got 15 career touchdowns. Nine of them have come against the New York Giants. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's insane. ridiculous. But I, I agree with you. It's not the Giants should not be game planning for Boston Scott. And I, I know that um, Wink was actually asked about that today, and he basically said that like 
you're a lot more concerned with Jalen Hurts. You're a lot more concerned with Miles Sanders and their wide receivers, Dallas Goddard. I think it's just coincidence that for some reason he just kills us. I think the Eagles play into it too, Chris. I think they know. Like they're not going to really probably use it unless they are blowing the Giants out. But I think they're going to give them like a goal line carry. That's what they did in these last games, right? Like they're on the goal line and it's not a huge leverage situation. Boston Scott's going to go in there. Yeah, of course he is. Just like last game, like you said, they brought him in from like the three yard line. I am that I am says an Italian eating pizza. Did I hear that right? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's the head coach for the Eagle. I haven't I haven't had pizza in like five or six years, but. If I had, I, I was presented with the question. I got to pick one of the other, but um, yeah, that's, I, that's, I made fun of him on Twitter yesterday for that because their head coach. Yeah. He decided to get pizza for the team. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, so maybe we'll beat him because of that. Maybe he, he's not the, you know, the best decision maker when it comes to food. So maybe he'll screw <laughs> up on the field uh, on Saturday. Let's see. What we got, um, I think we got about one more and then we're going to close this out soon. We already went over the, the amount of time that I wanted to. Um, appreciate you for coming on, man. And hang out with me today, dude. I have a blast with you, man. This is always fun. Appreciate it, man. Diego says the X. Let me get your take on this. Who's the X factor for this game? Okay, the X factor for this game. I think there are several. So we're gonna start with something that we brought up a little bit earlier. I think Leonard Williams can be one of the X factors in this game because I think the Eagles, just judging by their Week 14 game plan, want to put two bodies on Dexter Lawrence, and that can happen sometimes depending on the alignment that the Giants are going to employ. But I think you can't do that when you have Leonard Williams. Or if you do, Leonard Williams can feast in one-on-one matchups. Because Leonard Williams wasn't there last last time these two teams played. Last two times they played, really. And neither was Xavier McKinney. Neither was Adore Jackson. I think those guys can definitely all be X-Factors. I think Leonard Williams in the trenches up front can be. I also think the linebackers, man. I think they can be X-Factors because we saw in Week 14 how much GH, that's backside guard, H-back sniffer, tight end, counter, runs that the Eagles successfully employed against the Giants. And it's something like we've said, the Giants suck at defending that. So can Gerard Davis be a linebacker who actually does a solid job fitting that run? I'm a little dubious to that, but if he can, that would go a long way. So I think there's a lot of players that I'm trying to think of not like, I think you should say Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones. Yeah. Those guys can easily be X factors. Trying to think of the more. Uh, yeah. The to me, guys. Daniel Jones doesn't count as an X factor. That's like a game. Exactly. Going in, right? Um, it's funny because Bobby, I was on Bobby and Justin's podcast yesterday. They asked me the same question. I gave the same answer. I think the first guy you said was Dexter Lawrence, right? That, well, I that, said that, Williams because of Dexter Lawrence as a byproduct of like the Eagles I are going to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I said Dexter Lawrence, but when, when I said that, I meant the interior pass rush Yeah, uh, for the Giants. That to me is the X factor in this game. If they can win. And like you said, and so maybe Leo should technically be the X factor because he wasn't there last time. Kind of like what you were saying. But, yeah, just overall, the interior pass rush for the New York Giants in this game, to me, is probably going to be decides what wins this game, if we win it. Because they're really strong up at the, you know, their offensive line, specifically the interior. Kelsey's great, um, is excellent. But if we could get pressure, if we could generate pressure, something that Jalen Hurts is not accustomed to this year, because their line's been incredible, if you could cause disruption in that pocket, I think it could create turnover opportunities. So, that's why I think it's the X factor. I agree with you. I, 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 that's why I said I said Dexter Lawrence on Bobby's podcast. But just in general, the interior pass rush for the Giants. One more name, or just looking at the offensive side of the football, a name is Richie James. And I think that could be an X factor if Avante Maddox does not play. Avante Maddox, the defense is so much better when he is out there, if Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is also not out there. But when they have to put, and I can't remember his name, but that backup nickel out there, 
We've seen, we saw like the Chicago Bears. We saw so many teams just attempt to exploit that. That's a vulnerability away from Slay and away from Bradbury. And that plays right into Richie James's game, who didn't have the biggest game against the Minnesota Vikings. So that's another name that I feel like can have a, a big impact, sort of off the beaten path, although he's, I feel like, had a really good season this year. If Avante Maddox is not in the game, I think Richie James could thrive. I like that. I like that. That's a pretty good one. That's out of the box because James wasn't that featured last week. He had the screen pass. Outside of that, if I recall, he didn't get too many balls thrown his way. So maybe Richie James. Is he, had the, he had the one. If it wasn't batted by Harrison Phillips, the line of scrimmage, it could have went for like 35 yards. He was wide open over the middle of the field. And Harrison Phillips got a big ball there and just knocked it down. How about Bellinger? Maybe he's a maybe he's a potential X factor in the passing game. Maybe, oh, maybe yeah. Belly gets involved. Um, but uh, and by the way, I had to answer this, Richard. Sometimes people hear you misspeak. You know, <laughs> after the uh, during the victory celebration when the when the Giants beat the Vikings, I I came on here and I watched it back because I got so many comments in the live chat after. I'm like, did I really say that? Um, and I didn't. But I understand why people misinterpreted what I said. And then I cleared it up in my video the next day. So after I was obviously excited, screaming, happy, and I said, "Can you believe that we are one game away from being from being in a game where we're playing to go to the Super Bowl?" So everybody heard that when they listened, and there was like ten people in the chat that said, "Chris, they got to win two games. They got to win two games." And they're like, "How do you?" And then yeah. and then a guy in my comments after was like, "How are you so dumb? How do you run a giant YouTube channel that you don't know that you need to win two games to go to the Super Bowl?" Of no, course, you, mis- you misheard me, <laughs> but. Richard, no, that's not what I said. I said I have not eaten Pizza Hut in six years. I've eaten plenty of pizza. I've not had Pizza Hut. I've had New York pizza at pizzerias. Good pizza. Real Good pizza. pizza. Good pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but, guys, we are going to close it out. Appreciate each and every one of you guys for all the support you guys always show. Like I said, go on over to Big Blue Banter. They got a great YouTube channel, great guys, film breakdowns, in-depth. Um, gonna be working with them all offseason. Like we were saying, want to get them on the channel as much as I can because I think they're really informative, great guys, and I, I, they're fun to talk to. So appreciate you, you guys for coming on. Thank you guys for all, all the support. You're gonna be wrong. I'm gonna be right. The New York Giants are gonna win, and we're gonna be back here next week. We're gonna be doing an NFC championship podcast in which we're talking about potentially going to the Super Bowl. I'm keeping positive vibes. Can't wait for Saturday. I thought about it today. We're only three days away from our next game. I know. It's like a Thursday right now. Came up quick. So I can't wait. I can't wait for the game. Saturday night, what more could you ask for? Thank you to each and every one of you guys. Mike Nixon says, wait, Chris. What do you want me to wait for? What do you want me to wait for? Jai, have a good night. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. She's always in the stream, always supporting. Bookend, have a good night. I'll wait for you, Mike. I don't know what you want me to wait for, but I'll wait till you say something. Oh, a members chat. Uh, Yes. Sometimes I miss those. But, yeah, I got the YouTube chat here. If I did miss a member chat, I was just so... The member chats don't pop up, as you guys know. They don't pop up on the stream yard. When I have guests on, sometimes I get into the conversation, so I don't have the YouTube chat in front of me. But I got Rudy's member chat here. Rudy, what's going on? He's been with me forever. Member for 36 months. Freaking awesome subscriber. One of my day ones. Been with my channel since the beginning. Manifesting Boston Scott fumbles what could be the game-winning touchdown, and the Giants win 28-21. NFC Championship, here we come. Practice saying it. Let's go, Rudy. I'm going to tell you the way that I want this game to end. This, to me, would be poetic justice. Richie James, pump return for a touchdown. <laughs> oh, man. In a tie game, too, right? Tie game. Or down by three for even more of an effect. Well, that'd be even better. 
Yeah. But you, it could be tied. That's fine. 15 seconds left. Punter could clearly kick it out of bounds to send it to overtime. He kicks off to Richie James, and Richie James brings it back for 70 yards. That's what I want to see in this game. That's how I would like this game to end. That would be fantastic. But, guys, have a great rest of your day. Thank you guys for all the support you guys always show on the channel. Um, yeah, and I'll be live. I think I'm live tomorrow with Patricia Trainer. So you see me tomorrow. Um, and I think I'll be on Bad Dogs channel either Thursday or Friday. I'm going to be live all week. You know that. Big game coming up on Saturday. Can't wait to talk Giants football with you guys all week. And let's get this W. Have a good night, everybody. All right, all right.